This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Go. Go. Hey. It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. It's a playoff edition, and boy, do we have a great show for you. Mike Petriello from MLB.com and MLB Network will be here. We're going to have the general manager of the Oakland Athletics. I did not realize that David Force Commander has agreed to come on today. Yeah, he texted me yesterday with the time, and then I saw him in the office today, so... uh... Good showing for David Force. It would be nice to hear him on the show today. Oh, you use the inner office communications to make sure to get the GM. Yeah, he told me yesterday. He was like, uh, I'll be in JLS if that's if that helps you guys at all. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be in our little studio, so I don't think we can both be in there. But, yeah. But he's yeah, why, don't you guys, why don't you guys both cram in there and look cute? <laughs> uh, he's going to join us via video, though. I sent him the link, so he said he's going to try to join us via video. So our first David Force show over video and that's not in person. Well, I can tell you what it is. It's David Forrest, and you know how much we respect David and appreciate every single time he comes on. This is basically David Forrest going, I can get these guys out of the way and start doing my offseason. This is where whether vacations, golf, whatever he's going to be doing, Arizona Fall League, he can take care of us and be like, I'm done with these turkeys. We'll see you at the winter meetings. Yeah, or if, you know, and then when any news happens with resignings or arbitration or anything like that, you know, we'll reach out. But, yeah, after today, we probably won't talk to him for, for a good while. Like I said, we'll see you at the winter meetings. Uh, Dave O'Brien, the longtime television face voice of the Boston Red Sox, uh, Big East, all the great college basketball and college sports he's done for ESPN, is calling the Astros-Mariners game on ESPN. Dave O'Brien will be here. That is going to be at 2.30. Tyler Kepner at 3 o'clock from the New York Times baseball columnist, and you see him on MLB on the MLB Network. And he's got his new book out, Grandest Stage, A History of the World Series, that was released yesterday. So is that why he did his appearance recently on MLB now? Yeah, I'm going to assume that's so. And plus, he works for the New York Times, so I'm sure they wanted him in there to talk about the Mets and the Yankees and – 
Um, he was. We were actually supposed to talk to him tomorrow, but he had to reschedule because the Yankees and Guardians, well, on paper, are supposed to play tomorrow. But the game might get uh, pushed to Wednesday, uh, Friday because of inclement weather, just like we were seeing a delay in the Braves-Phillies game two in Atlanta today. Yeah, if you got up raring for two day two games of baseball today, I hate to tell you, not looking good as we speak. As I've been watching MLB Network all day long, and everybody there has umbrellas out when they're talking to television back to the home studio in New Jersey. So the idea that we're getting two baseball games in, because what they don't want to do is they don't want to start, stop, start, stop. And they showed the Doppler coming in, and the storm is heading into Georgia. So they, they, they've got light rain now, probably going to get heavy rain. No clue when this thing's going to start. We do know, and oddly enough, where we did have rain yesterday, you're watching the end of the Dodgers-Padres. I think anytime we see this thing called water, fall from the sky in California, you're like, boy, do we need more of that? To actually see it start to rain at Dodger Stadium was like, wow, that's something you don't see. I couldn't, I wouldn't even want to guess when is the last time the Dodgers or the Angels had a rain out. I bet it was a long, long time ago. I bet uh, the year doesn't start with a two. I would bet a lot of money that if we said last rain out at Dodger Stadium or for the Angels, it was not 2000 or after. Uh, I would I would bet it has to be. It's got to have a one in front of it, starting with that year. Uh, so you be you would have lost that, according to what I read on the internet. And I'm like you, I believe everything I read on the internet. April 17th, 2000, Dodger Stadium had a rain out when they were oh. taking on the Houston Astros. I missed it by a year. Well, it's 20, so that just tells, 22 years ago. Tells you, it, 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 well, they did a song, It Doesn't Rain in Southern California. So really the game that we're going to focus on today then, because we know will go, is going to be the Padres up against the Dodgers, and we know how that went last night. You know, I was just thinking about some some observations. How quickly can you pull up the theme of Halloween? Um, the movie? Hold on. Michael Myers. How quickly can you pull that up? I should have told you before. Uh, the it's show okay. Happened. Give me five seconds. There's an ad running on YouTube and I can have it. All right. All right here we go. Because. Oh, wait. No. Hold on. Another ad. Three oh, they're seconds. They're going to get you. They'll get you that five seconds before right, you here can we skip. Go. Yeah. This is all I could think about yesterday. Well, you're a big Halloween guy. I watched all four games. I even watched the Braves and Phillies while I was playing golf. Uh, Three of the four games went well over three hours, by the way. It was only 24 hours in a day. There was basically more than half the day it took to play these baseball games. We'll get into that in a little bit. Is that it? What happened? Uh, This is the official John Carpenter theme from 1978. That's on YouTube. Three billion views. I know the song is like three minutes long, so. All right, then forget about it. Basically, the Houston Astros. I got four observations 
about these games yesterday. And the Houston Astros are basically Michael Myers. That's who these guys are. If you're the Seattle Mariners, you're locked in a Halloween movie. I know a new one's coming out. It might even come out like today with Jamie Lee Curtis is back. I don't know. I mean, they've made 8 million Friday the 13th and 8 million Halloween movies. You can't kill the guy, no matter what you do. You can stab him. You can stick a pole through him. You can shoot him. You can run him over with a car. He always comes back. That's why you have all these movies. He's the star. You don't kill the star. Because if you kill the star, you don't have a sequel. And if you're the Seattle Mariners, you're living in this horror movie called the Houston Astros. The numbers are mind-blowing how much the Astros have just dominated the Seattle Mariners. They've won 31 of 38, including the postseason, because we now have to include the postseason because the Mariners have finally made the postseason. Think about that. They've won over a month of baseball against you. So if you lined them up for over a month, they basically won almost every day against you. And here you are. You have the lead. You knock out Verlander. Everything's great. You're feeling. And then, boom, Bregman goes yard. Then, oh, my God, you're bringing in Robbie Ray? See, Walt has better numbers against left-handers. You're bringing in Robbie Ray? And Jordan goes yard. And you've lost 31 of 38. These guys are the boogeyman for you. I don't know how the Seattle Mariners recover from this. You've got all this momentum coming in. You make the playoffs for the first time since 2001. You have this massive party. Everything's great. You're enjoying life. And then what happens? Bang. You go into Toronto, historic stuff. Toronto, awesome. What happens? Yep. The movie, the horror movie continues for you. I don't know how they recover. And you really can say the same thing for the Dodgers. I don't even want to really go much over this series. I've seen it. We've been watching it. Dodgers have beaten the Padres 15 out of 20, including the postseason. And they've outscored them 114 to 50. This is not even a fight. It doesn't matter. You can bring in Soto. You can have Bob Melvin. You can do this. You can do that. Switch lineups, switch rotations, bullpen. Everything San Diego has done has not worked. It literally does not matter. Just doesn't. They have no shot until they actually step up and hit the bully back in the mouth and knock the bully down, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to be shocked if this goes three games, it's over. Do you understand what it's like to be outscored 114 to 50? In, this isn't football. This isn't where a touchdown is six points, extra point makes seven. 114 to 50? They've outscored you in a season by over 50 runs? This may this basically means 
you've been getting your ass handed to you by the Dodgers. And it's just not this year. This goes back for years now. But you made all these changes in the offseason to combat L.A., and they still beat you by 22 games and have outscored you. So I don't even think that's the, like Halloween in your nightmare. That's just you're not as good. You're not even in the same ballpark as, the, as they are until you see something different. And I don't care who you pitch. I don't care. I don't care if there's spider tack going on. I don't care what substance you got. You can you can have whatever you want. And you're not beating them until further notice. Ah, Darvish is going tonight. Great. And it doesn't matter who the Dodgers got going on. They just have ownage of you. You see their uniforms. You don't play big. You play small. That's my observation from that series. Uh, Yankees. This was one that I really, with the layoff, they needed to get, and they had their gun, their hired gun, their big dog on the mound. Uh, for Cleveland, I you know, okay. Lost game one. They had Garrett Cole. They won game one. I don't think that's that bad. I don't think it's a big deal for Cleveland. I think it's something the Yankees needed. And from here on out, I don't think it's going to phase Cleveland. I just thought that's the way it was supposed to go. You got to have your big gun out there, pitched out of trouble. You get the win. You hit a few balls out of the ballpark, and you get game one. Game two is what's going to be interesting. That's what's going to be really – Nasty Cortez is going in game two, right? Uh, correct. Him and Shane Bieber are game two. And for Cleveland, they've been playing a lot, a lot of time for Cleveland. They'll get the day off today. I just – that game for me went chalk. And then the final game is the game I think is the most interesting. Uh, to me, the Philadelphia Phillies are the scariest animal on the planet right now. The Philadelphia Phillies, and I wonder, I don't know how much baseball Mike Petriello played, but they remind me of that summer league team that you played on. Whether it was high school, a little bit before high school, where it was a Group of guys from a bunch of different areas come together. You're on the summer team. So it's not like you were picked together. It's not like you were drafted. You, you, you play on this summer team. You got this coach you like, and you start playing. And you win games, you lose games. But it's summertime. You're just trying to get your work in, right? And then all of a sudden, you start coming together. And... You become a tough animal, and you don't look perfect because you're like a summer league team. Is Mike there? Yeah, Mike's here. Hi. What's happening? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Good to be back. It's great to have you back. I was just I was just going through my observations of each of the games yesterday, and the best way I can describe the Phillies, it reminded me back in my playing days when you'd get on the, like this summer league team where you got a bunch of great high school players. And you get on the summer league team and you're winning games, you're losing games, but you're there to get work in. You really like the coach. He's a cool guy. And then all of a sudden it starts clicking. And even though you're not the best puzzle pieces of the puzzle together, it just starts working and you start winning and you have all of this confidence. Do we still have Mike? Yeah, I'm still here. My camera seems to have turned off. I'm not sure. Sure. Why? <laughs> I, I, I don't worry about it. Um, 
But that's like what they are. They're like the summer league team where everything's going great. And they feel like they look at the other team. They don't care. And now they're bunting. They're not even hitting home runs to win. They're but they're beating you in a lot of different ways. It doesn't matter if the bullpen's good or not. It's just they have this ultimate confidence. And boy, Mike, that is a scary team to play. You know, they are. I think obviously the fact that they beat Max Fried when they didn't have Nola or Wheeler in game one, that's a pretty big deal, right? <laughs> like those are the two guys at the top of their rotation. And to win a game without one of them is a huge deal. I think. I don't know if I'm totally with you on the offense yet, just because, you know, none of the big guys have hit and Max Freed was not at his best. He was coming off the flu. His velocity was down. It was not hitting his spots. He was throwing kind of middle, middle meatballs, his highest zone rate of the season. And I think what works in the Phillies favor is that you have to expect the big guys are going to hit at some point. It just, it hasn't fully come through yet. Yeah. I, I just, there, there's something about a team that believes you know, it's that old it factor that we don't know. I mean, look what they battled this year. They've been bad. They've been good. It's been a roller coaster ride for them. And now they're in the postseason and they got nothing to lose. But uh, yeah, Atlanta is so good. We expect Atlanta to, to move on. But it's scary fighting a team that has that it factor and that momentum and that belief. Well, it's funny that you say momentum, right? Because who are the momentum at the end of the regular season? Well, it was the Braves, right? Yeah. If you look at the uh, American League teams, who had the momentum at the end of the wild card round? What well, was definitely Seattle after what they did coming back in Toronto, except then the very first game, they lost the momentum. Like, I don't know. There's the famous saying that momentum is only as good as the next day's starting pitcher. And I feel like that's true. Uh, but, you know, you're right. They, they are, I will say they're underrated in a lot of ways. I don't think anybody really gave them a chance. And I think that they've pretty much earned that, especially with the way they won in the first game. Yeah, I I would love to be old school and say that that matters. Uh, momentum is the next day's pitcher, but the next day's pitcher is going to go three and two thirds or four and a third. So it, it could be we could we could change that and say momentum is now uh, tomorrow's bullpen guys to see how they do. And when you look at a series like what we're talking about in Atlanta, I'm not sure. I'm hoping we're going to get this game in today. Uh, will that really benefit Philly? Maybe if there is a rainout, don't play today. I was thinking about this a little bit. I'm not necessarily sure it's going to benefit either team. I mean, because you're probably not going to get multiple starts out of Nola and Wheeler in this series, just the way things are lined up. You know, and I think that's especially true if things get pushed back, um, then you're going to essentially play four days in a row necessarily. I think they will actually play tonight, so it won't matter that much. Um, but, you know, as really as long as they can go and say, well, we've got Nola and Wheeler lined up. Obviously, you have to win one of those two games, right? You ideally you win both of them and then the series is over but if you win one of those two games then you say okay well we're up 2-1 we still have the advantage we just have to scratch one more win out of the final two games with the uncertain status of Spencer Strider obviously from the other side I mean I think that's kind of the way they're looking at this it's not so much when do we play it's not where do we play it's not how rainy is it it's we've got our best two guys lined up if we can't win behind them then we probably don't deserve to win long term how much do you love this business strategy of the Atlanta Braves, the way they're signing all these guys. I mean, how could you not? And I think credit goes to a couple of places. First of all, you have to have the guys that you want to sign long-term. You know, not everybody is coming up with a Michael Harris coming out, but you know, and, and Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna and all the other guys they've signed, Spencer Strider. So that's step one, uh, identifying these incredibly talented young players, getting them into your system. And not only that, having them generally succeed pretty quickly when they come up so that you know that these are guys you want to be in business with. So they've done a great job on that. And then the other part of it too is that you know, I'm sure other teams want to do this. They want to have the same strategy. 
but the player has to be willing to sign the deal. And I think Atlanta has really made themselves a, a place that players want to be. Obviously, a lot of talk about guys who are from the area, and I'm sure that plays into it to some extent. But for other places, if it's not a place that is con- you know consistently in contention or a place that players want to live and want to start a family, it's not always about the contract, you know? So the Braves have done a really good job, not just like extending the deal, getting the ink to paper, but making it an environment uh, where players want to spend the next five, eight years of their lives. You know, before you came on, I was talking about the Mariners and the Astros and the Astros to the Mariners, since it's Halloween time, they're like Michael Myers in the movie in Halloween. You can't run them over with a car. You can't stab them. You can't shoot them. Nothing kills this guy. And it just made me think yesterday watching that game. And here comes the Astros. Here comes Bregman. And then Alvarez. I'm just thinking he's he the Astros are the Michael Myers for the Seattle Mariners. It's just a nightmare. It's what they've lost 31 of 38. It's just uh, if you're the Mariners, you're just thinking, what, what are you thinking if you're the Mariners today? Yeah, I was in Toronto for that wild card series. And I obviously I saw them have the great comeback and that's fantastic. But part of the reason they got into that spot in the first place is that Paul Sewell just did not look like himself. And then that happened again in game one of the the, wild, the uh, division series. And I think that's got to concern you a lot because a, a big part of the, their case for having a chance to win here is that the relief pitching has been excellent. Very, very good. And if Paul Sewell isn't that guy, I mean, that's going to be a, a big blow to them. Obviously, they still have Julio Rodriguez. There's still a lot of other players to like there, but I don't really trust Robbie Ray. I, I'm not sure what to make of Paul Sewell. And the fact is, even though Houston is incredibly unpopular for a lot of obvious reasons, the, the faces may change. This team is still consistently good every single year. They have the deepest, best rotation in baseball right now. And I know you don't go for five, six guys deep into starting rotation in the playoffs, uh, and that's fine. But I think people are finally figuring out that Jordan Alvarez isn't just a, a DH. He is a legitimate top five player in baseball. That's how good he is at the plate. And then, you know, you saw his arm last night too. He's actually a, a decent outfielder at throwing guys out. Yeah. You know, on, on this program, they are hated, but they are respected. I mean, it, it's just, it is what it is. If they're about to go to the LCS again, it's, it, it's truly an amazing run. And that, you know, kind of like what we talked about with the Mariners and the Astros you got the same thing going on with San Diego. I mean, the Dodgers, I mean, when you think about this, the Dodgers outscored the Padres this year by 64 runs, if you include yesterday. Sick. I mean, we're not talking you score touchdowns in this game. All right. I mean, that's one thing. If you're if you're if your point differential is 114.50 and a touchdown's worth six points, you could get but this is baseball. I mean, what does that tell you when a team has just owned you like that? dominance i mean i don't know that that's necessarily specific to the padres because the dodgers outscored everybody i mean they they had the largest run differential since i don't even remember when pre-world war ii you know before any of us were still alive to watch baseball uh and i'm actually glad you brought that up in the other series the phillies were only outscored by three runs by the braves all year long which is kind of an interesting way to look at it. it's like oh well huge win differential but maybe not like in the head-to-head as far as the padres and the dodgers go i mean the dodgers are the better baseball team but full stop. There's no disrespect intended to the Padres there. We know that they were at a bit of a, a disadvantage coming into the game yesterday because they didn't have their rotation lined up. And Mike Clevenger was, he's not the same guy he used to be. You know, his strikeout rate, if you compare him this year to his peak in Cleveland, is almost, I mean, it's like half. And part of that is coming back from Tommy John. His velocity is down. His slider doesn't move the same way. And it's he's not the guy you want 
to be your number one starter in this series. Obviously, that's the way it worked because they had to go through the Mets first and play three games. And so they're better positioned now. Like now you can have Darvish and Snell and Musgrove, and I think that'll help. But I just I don't see how they beat the Dodgers because their lineup's not as good. They're already down by a game. I don't really trust the bullpen as much. I mean, yeah. if they steal one game, that's a success. I mean, the Dodgers, there's no questioning which is the better team here, and it's not the Padres. I mean, do, do you see, like, the headlines, Dodgers bullpen down the road being if there's one thing that old Achilles, I know it's a tendon, but the old Achilles heel, uh, is, it, is it definitely the bullpen? And now with Kimbrell even left off the roster. Yes and no. I mean, Kimbrell was the biggest name, obviously, right? I mean, you think about the the top name closers of the last 10 years, and the two biggest names you think of are Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen, right? Well, Jansen's gone. He's in Atlanta. Kimbrell didn't make the roster, but it was never an expectation that he would. If you've been paying attention for the last like two months of the season when he was struggling badly, you never thought he would. And then you look at some of the names they have. It's not the traditional, okay, here's our Lugi, here's our setup man, here's our closer. They're going to try to piece it together in a bit of a non-traditional way, which if any team can do it, they can. And I, I think what's going to happen is if you haven't been following them closely, you're going to look at some of the names in the bullpen and you're going to say to yourself, who? Wait, wait a minute, Evan Phillips, the guy that the Orioles just cut last year. He's like your high leverage guy now. Yancy Almonte, the guy who the Rockies let go, like he's pitching big innings for you. You know, Blake Trinan is a big name, but he's been hurt for most of the year. I, I think people are going to be surprised at how they do it. And it's not just the ninth, you know, depending on how far the series goes, how many starters they need, like, cause they're going to go, you know, Urias already pitched Kershaw uh, and then Anderson would be in game three. And if they have to go to game four, they're probably going to have some kind of like three headed piggyback situation where here's a couple innings from Andrew Heaney, who has a ton of strikeouts. And here's a couple innings from Tony Gonsolin who went like, I don't know, 16 and one. And here's a couple innings from Dustin May who has, throws fireballs and it's going to be, you know, three innings here, three innings there. It's not going to be your traditional. Okay. Well, here comes the trumpets. Here comes Edwin Diaz. That's just what we do. That's not how this team is built. <laughs> There's no hell's bells or enter the Sandman anymore. Are those that, you know, Rollis Chapman's not on the roster. I mean, is the days of the dominant closer? Is that, are we looking, is that coming to an end? Yes and no. I mean, it has already to some extent. You know, teams don't necessarily use guys like that. But if you were to ask the Dodgers, hey, do you wish you had an Edwin Diaz? They'd say, yes, absolutely. Like we very yeah. much, we wish we wish Kimbrell was the guy that we thought he was. You know, Trinan would have been that guy if Trinan had been healthy all year because over the last two or three years, he was fantastically good. But it's not about saves, you know? I mean, you even saw it, you saw it in the Mets series in the wild card where Edwin Diaz, Buck Showalter, old school Buck Showalter brings in Edwin Diaz in the seventh inning. And is that an overcorrection from six years earlier when he kind of refused to bring in Zach Britton at all? Maybe, but the game has changed a lot. It's not about saves and it's not about the capital C closer anymore. All right. I'm originally from San Diego and I'm on this text thread with all my buddies from back home. Uh, the biggest villain right now that they can't stand and they're like, feel like they were sold a bag of goods because he just doesn't swing like they're over Juan Soto. It's like amazing that Juan Soto <laughs> went from this guy that $500 million and he get, and then all of a sudden you see this body of work and you see some walks and then you're like, why does it, you know, we were breaking it down. Guy doesn't really the Padres in general, but Juan Soto doesn't swing at balls outside the zone and doesn't swing out a whole lot of balls inside the zone. What's going on with Juan Soto? 
been a little passive. I agree. He hasn't quite been the same guy since the trade. Uh, but I, I just I don't understand how you can be down on Juan Soto. He is by any definition the second best hitter on this team, right? Manny Machado's the guy right now. Totally understood. I get that Trent Christian was good for like 24 hours, but you can't really compare that to the full length of his season where he couldn't hit at all. This isn't a good offense in general, which I guess is the first place to start. We've been calling Juan Soto the next 10 Williams for like three years now. And I haven't seen anything that changes my mind on that. I, I get it. Since the trade, he hasn't been quite the same guy. I think he was hurt for a little bit. He missed some time. He, The best way I can think to say this is people think he's having a down time with San Diego. And that's true to some extent. But even in that, he's still been 30% better than the average hitter. <laughs> it's like, I think that goes to the expectations. It walks, though? It's not it's not production with the bat. Is it walks? Well, hey, walks are better than out, right? Walks matter. I agree. True. You haven't seen him take over the season. If I'm going to want 500 million, I, I, I if we're going to compare him to Ted Williams. I'm giving him 500 million. I want to see that 340 Ted Williams was hitting, not 250. Well, nobody hits 340 anymore. So I don't know that that's a realistic expectation. I would say, <laughs> I think we're talking about two different things, right? In terms of, is he the, one of the best hitters on this team? Can he help them win this postseason series? Yes. I, I I wouldn't worry about the future contract he's going to get in three years over the next three days. You know, I think that'll come down to what is he over six months next year with San Diego? If it's the same thing, if it's all walks and no power, then, you know, you might be onto something. I'm not actually that worried about that. I think the talent's going to shine through. Do you get my guy? I, I, I've adopted the Guardians as my team with the A's being out. You give my gut. What, what chances do you give my Guardians against the Bombers? Ten percent. Listen, I actually uh, here's here's the thing. The Guardians coming into this series, it's almost like a referendum on the style of play, right? It's not even so much do you think the way they play is you know better correlated to winning baseball games than like power and strikeouts. It's just do you want that to be the style of play? And I understand a lot of people do, right? They like contact, balls in play, speed defense. Totally get it. They are fun to watch. And what I can't get past so far is they've played, what, three games so far? They have yet to score a run that's not on a home run, which is a hilarious thing to say about the Cleveland Guardians. And they're not going to beat you with home runs. They're not going to beat the Yankees with home runs. And if they can't scratch across any runs, not even a single one that comes on sacrifice fly or double or three hits in a row or whatever they, they got no shot yeah it's it's interesting all their home runs and then Quan goes deep again yesterday it's like yeah i just he's it's like you're rooting for it. i i love their style francona i mean it's just it, it, it's what you'd love to see because it would what would it mean so you said 10 percent. so i that that's not if I'm playing the percentages, I don't like those percentages. If that's that, if that's what I'm playing at the blackjack table, we're in trouble. We better go to dinner and uh, make that reservation. But if they do, what would it mean for baseball if the Guardians are able to come back and win this series? I, they'd have to win the World Series. I think. I don't think. I don't think winning one series is going to massively make everybody change their idea of what makes for a successful baseball team. To some extent, I don't like praising them that much because. The reason that they play the style they do and that they're so young is because they just never go out and sign any free agents. You know, like I would feel a lot better about this lineup, not changing the style they play. Uh, if they had like a Jock Peterson or like somebody who can hit the ball over the fence, just like one guy, you know, and I think you look at the bottom of the lineup, the catcher is a black hole. You know, center field is a very good defender, defender in Miles Straw, but offense is not there. They're basically going with you know, th- one third of the lineup that can't really hit. And that's that's tough. That is like absolutely relying on Jose Ramirez and Stephen Kwan 
and you know Josh Naylor to succeed, and that's that's just a tough thing to do. So we got the off season coming up. Thank God we're gonna have a regular off season because our off seasons lately. I mean, you think of no winter meetings, kind of a Zoom winter meetings, lockout. Uh, we're gonna all go back to San Diego, which will be great. Hopefully, we'll see you in San Diego. I'll buy you a beer while we're down there, and. I'm just thinking, are, are, are you excited that we're going to have a normal offseason again? Well, I think every baseball fan will be excited by that because last offseason was excruciating. I think especially for myself, because, you know, I write for MLB.com. We weren't really allowed to talk about any of the players for about three months last year. That was not a very fun winter. I hope to never do that again. Fortunately, that's not a concern going forward. And yeah, this is going to look not just more normal than last year, but I think more normal than we've had in like three or four years. Cause obviously before that it was all, of, you know, not that the pandemic is over cause it's not, but there were concerns about, Hey, are we going to get a season in? Are we going to be able to play? Will there be fans in the seats? All this kind of stuff. And we're not fully back to normal, but pretty close. So I think this is going to look a lot more like the, the baseball winters you're used to. Uh, any projects for it before we let you go, anything you're working on that uh, we can help sell for you? Well, we're definitely going to have some new interesting metrics uh, in the queue for over the winter. Um, I'm pretty excited about this one we've got with catchers that kind of go into, you know, who stolen base percentage is what catchers have generally been judged on, but we know that runners steal on the pitcher. So I think we're finally going to be able to show that. And I can think of some catchers going to be very excited about that. And boy, the, the new pickoff rules are going to change a lot of things next year. Yeah. I'm kind of excited to see how that plays out. Um, it'll be, it'll be fun to see who, <laughs> Which team, I think, thinks through them the best and figures out how to game the system first will be a pretty fun game. Breaking news, Ricky Henderson is calling Billy Bean. Hey, I think I can still get you <laughs> like 50-60. Bring him back. <laughs> I want to see it. <laughs> hey, great stuff. We always appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Let's talk soon, and uh, we'll definitely want to buy you some beverages down in San Diego. Sounds good. Take care. Take care. Mike Petriello from MLB.com and MLB Network. Yeah. Cody, I, I I don't even know what to say about what the running game is going to look like next year. I think it's going to be fascinating. My guess is this, is that this is something that's just, uh, it, it, it's, like, it, it's like kindling. They just need to get the fire lit. And then once the fire gets lit, they'll go back. I think they just need to force people to start running again, to get more action going in the game. And then once they get it going and there'll be enough complaints about pitchers and catchers going, wait a minute, we can only throw her two times with third times a, a, a Bach. Uh, I, I, I see this as it gets started, it gets the flame lit, and then they'll pull it back probably before the all-star game. Uh, I, I've told you before that I'm, I want to see the running game back in baseball. Um, I don't think we haven't. Wait, you told people before. Who are the people you've told? I mentioned before. I, I never hated the stolen base. I think the stolen base is exciting. I, I think that the lack thereof kind of hurts the game when you don't have anyone stealing bases. Now I'm looking it up right now uh, to see who the leader in stolen bases was last year or this past season. And the leader, can you guess who the leader in stolen bases was this year in Major League Baseball? No. That'd be, uh, I mean, that'd be John Birdie of the Miami Marlins who had 41. Then it was Jorge Mateo, former A of the Baltimore Orioles. Cedric Mullins had 34 uh, with, the, with the Orioles. Randy Rosarena had 32. Tommy Edmund of the Cardinals had 32. John Birdie had 41 steals this year. Uh, Ricky would have had that at the All-Star break, as, he told, oh. as Harold Reynolds told us that story. 
Ricky needs to get on the phone. Call Billy Bean. R- R- Ricky can still play in these rules. You, I, I guarantee you, Ricky's still your sixty in these rules. Oh, for sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna look real quick to see who led the A's in stolen bases. I want to say I, I, I want to say it might have been uh, the lead the team leader in stolen bases was a three way tie between Seth Brown, Tony Kemp, and Ramon Laureano. They all had eleven. So there you go. So yeah, I want to see the running. I, I did. I did know this. The Rangers led baseball because I remember when we played them late. They were doing well in stolen stolen bases. The Rangers had a hundred and twenty eight. Marlins one twenty two. Guardians one nineteen, Cubbies one eleven. So that'll be uh, that'll be that'll be fascinating to see what that number is. But I do think they will change that. Um, so I find, and you know, we we I do. Cody does. I do. I like to not go again. I like going against the establishment, and the establishment is now the metrics people. They're the establishment. They've bullied their way into the party and they've taken over. And little by little, baseball's pulling them back a little bit. But like Juan Soto is a great example. Juan Soto has not been good for the Padres. Like, and and and, and immediately I knew the reaction I was going to get from Mike. It's a whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, they still want to compare him to Ted Williams. No one's going to hit 340. Okay. 305. I mean, how can you compare anybody to Ted Williams if you're just doing it because of walks? And I had to bring up the walk thing. What was his answer? Well, he, it's better than an out. Duh. But uh, Juan Soto and Fit, do you know what his not? Do you have any idea what his numbers are with, with the Padres? Um, I have it in front of me, but I closed it because I wanted to see how many. He had more walks and hits this year, but I don't know what the numbers are. Um, what his numbers he were to two, Padres. He hit two thirty six. Yeah, that's not good. He had more walks and strikeouts though. His OPS was seven seventy eight, and it's all based on walks. He hit six home runs with the Padres. That's. I mean, uh, Seth Brown can do that. His numbers are what Seth Brown can do, minus probably as many walks. And, yeah, I know he's young, and I, I remember saying it, and I, I'll still back it up. Like, he's a good-looking kid, but I, I don't know what's your return on investment for a guy like him for $500 million. I don't even know what your return on investment is for, like, 400 I mean, he's basically had, and you got to throw the 2020 year out of there, uh, but, and he's got a long way to go, but it's not like you're talking massive power numbers. He's young though. And I get it, but it's a lot of walks juice up the numbers. He's not dynamic defensively. He's not fast. It's not this super athlete guy. I mean, you're ba- I mean, you're gonna be, you're gonna get a lot of walks, and you're gonna get some pop, and hopefully you're gonna get. I mean, but what what really is five hundred million? To, what would your expectations be? And I hate to get off course here, but whenever I hear this Juan Soto thing, I just I just go. And once again, I comparing him to Ted Williams. Well, 
I gave you Ted's numbers, and you're going to tell me, well, guys don't do that today. Well, then don't compare to Ted Williams. I mean, you're just comparing you're just comparing him because he walks and he's got and his stupid shuffle where he's the guy who doesn't swing the bat is constantly mad dogging pitchers with a stare. That doesn't make sense to me. I think for five hundred million dollars, you're expecting Aaron Judge type numbers, a three eleven average, what he had sixty two home runs, hundred and thirty runs driven in. There you go. If you're that, gonna, I mean that 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 right there. Aaron Judge, okay, Aaron Judge may not hit 340, but at one point he was hitting hot, way higher, but he at least hit 311 versus, you know, Juan Soto, the year he was his best year, he hit 282. I mean, I'll take 282. Hell yeah, I'll take 282. What I'm not going to take is 246, 236, and be comparing him to Ted Williams. I mean, that's ridiculous. And the thought was when he went to the Padres, they'd have more protection in their lineup than the than the you know the Nationals did with just Josh Bell because they had Machado and and Jake Cronenworth, and they have good they had better hitters in their lineup than the Nationals had with just him and Bell. And he hasn't produced, and you're hoping he does in Game Two. Was that tomorrow against? But you're going up against Clayton Kershaw, uh, so good luck with that. But. I just think if you want to get five hundred million dollars, you got to put up numbers like like what Aaron Judge did this year. Or you don't even have to hit sixty two home runs, but hit four. Hit do, do what Trout does, miss half the season until hit forty home runs. I mean, do something. If you're putting up numbers like that, I think that can justify the five hundred million dollars you could get because of his age and because of his on base. You know, you know, we you know, what what was so impressive about Aaron Judge, and you're kind of leading me to this point is you want to know value value is when you do stuff and it's not predicated on the other guys on your team have to help. And I hope that's super vague. And you go, what's he talking about? Aaron judge got put at the leadoff spot because they want to get him as many as bats as possible. And all Aaron judge did from the leadoff spot is basically lead every category in baseball. He didn't need his teammate. He was a one-man wrecking crew badass. So he still led runs, RBI. I mean, he led it. What, what, he just didn't lead in batting average, right? He led everything else? Yeah, Luis Arise from the Twins led in batting average. So he missed out on the triple crown because of that. From, from, a, from, a, from the leadoff spot there at the end. So basically, when you say, well, one so so it's it's kind of like folks, let's go back to our Jack Cuss days. Jack Cuss walked a lot. So what did people say? Well, if he was in a better lineup, he'd be more valuable, right? It's like what we found out talking with Shohei Otani. Well, if Shohei Otani was on another team, he'd be more valuable. Well, what a truly dominant player will show you. I am, I am the guy. I, I don't need, it doesn't matter who's around me. I'm going to put up numbers because I'm flat out dominant. And that's what happens when a guy constantly hits. Hits, 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 and hits more. Because the more you hit, the more your numbers go up. The more home runs, the more RBIs, the more doubles. And all you do is keep hitting, and the numbers keep going like this. 
Now, what we've tried to make a case for in baseball right now, like just happened on this show, well, he walks a lot. Okay, you get on base. Now, I'm on base a lot. Is that great? Sure. But now, you need, and let's face it, Juan Soto's not a burner. You need multiple hits to score him. So multiple guys now have to do something to make his walk productive. Versus a guy like Aaron Judge this year, which was a historic year, so you could say it's an outlier. I totally get it. But that's where you can go back and look at players and even look at Trout. What did Trout finish with, 39, 40 home runs? I think it was 40 because he missed, like, what, 45 games? I'll pull it up. He missed 42 to injury, I believe. Um, Let's see. Mike Trout, he hit 283, 40 home runs, 80 runs driven in. And he played in only 119 games. Think about that. He missed, I want to say he missed 42 games because of the back. And he still hit 40 home runs. That's Mike Trout. Whether the teammates around him are good or bad, we can take Mike Trout out as a single entity and say, man, this dude's a badass. And we've been able to do that his entire career. We can take him out and say, you know, it doesn't matter. Whatever is around him. Obviously, anybody is going to be better in a in a great lineup. I mean, you could pretty much stick any hitter in the Dodgers lineup. They become better. But are you a bad enough man that you do stuff on your own? Are you that guy? Are you that guy that's such a dominant player who, no matter what the other eight guys are around you in the lineup, you produce massive numbers? Here's I a, mean, there's here's, there's Hall of Fame guys that did not play on good teams, and they had massive numbers. And yes, people that there there are guys that they the pitching coaches circled their name in the lineup. They said we're not going to let this guy beat us, and he still beat you because he's a great offensive player. So the whole idea of where we've got, I don't know when, I don't know if it was because of Moneyball. We got fascinated with walks. Is that safe to say? Am I out of line there that we got fascinated with walks? Uh, no, I think you're. I think you're onto something there for sure. Back in 2002, and that, and then uh, in onward, fascinated with just what he walks. He gets on base. He get yeah, that's great, but it doesn't mean it's instant offense. And Juan Soto showing. I'm telling you right now, I got buddies back home who are like. What what if this guy doesn't swing the bat? And Eno Saris, our our analytics guru, came on this show and said, Yeah, the Padres as a team, they don't swing at all. They don't swing at strikes, they don't swing at what I mean. If you don't swing it, you wonder why the Dodgers have outscored them 114 to 50. Dodgers hack. I mean, I can I can I can just go. I got team stats in front of me right now. You'll just just let's look at what Dodgers do. Dodgers are fifth in home runs, so they're top five in home runs. Where are they? They're top five in home runs. They're number one in runs scored. They're number one in weighted runs created plus. Uh, They're top five in hits. They are second in doubles. Where are they in walks? They're second walks, so they do everything. They hit home runs. They get base hits. They get doubles. They walk. They do everything. They're an offense. That's what offense does. I mean, if you rely solely on the walk, man, 
Good luck to you. You got to be able to hit. Like, look at this. How would you rate the Padres as an offense? Uh, I think they're mediocre. Mediocre. As I saw from Richard Sherman. Remember, remember, is that is that what you have? Remember that drop I had? Mediocre. Yeah, it was Richard Sherman. Uh, was that Sherman? All yeah. right. Uh, Padres are fifth in walks in baseball. That should be great, right? Yeah, you should you should score some runs with those guys on. It should be great. They're not. So I mean, we can we can uh, trust me. Everybody can use any number to try. I'm not trying to win an argument here. I, I'm just I'm just. It's an observation that this player that we. We talked, wouldn't you say during the season, we talked a lot about before the trading deadline. Oh, Soto for and sure. Every, and everybody was talking about him. He goes to the All-Star game and... And next thing you know, you're looking at it to where... I don't know, man. I look at it. I mean, he's not... he He's not one-dimensional, but he's not an all-around player. Like he's not, he's not, he's not winning games for you defensively. So he's got to do it with the bat. And if he's not swinging it and I'm not seeing him up there in all the categories other than walks, that would worry me. I know he's 23 going to be 24, but I'll tell you this, a good part of his game won't age well. That will be his legs and his defense will not age well. He might be a DH going... I don't think he'll be Nick Cassianos where we talk about how bad he is on defense. Although Cassianos had a really nice play yesterday in the ninth inning, diving catch in right field for the Phillies. Uh, real quick on that, the tentative time right now for the start for that game is either four, uh, 4.30 or 4.45 our time, so 7.30, 7.45 Eastern time. MLB will reconvene at 6 p.m. according to Ken Rosenthal. So 4.30 or 4.45, hopefully that game will start. And then I think the, what, the Dodgers and Padres start an hour later. So we'll, we'll might have two games in prime time. But when you look at Mike Trout, you mentioned how Soto walks so much. Now, Trout strikes out a lot, okay? Let's look at one year. Mike Trout in 2014, the year he won his first MVP award, Trout at 287. He had a 939 OPS. He struck out 184 times that year. But he hit 36 home runs and drove in 111 runs. He struck out 184 times and walked 83 times. Now, you can be a productive player and strike out a lot. Mike Trout proves that every single year. 184 in that year, 158 the year after, 137, 124, 120. He struck out 139 times this year and still at 283 and hit 40 home runs. He doesn't walk all the time. So you can be productive without walking. And that's what Juan well, Soto needs. To- I, I, I don't have to look at the numbers. But during COVID is when I started looking at this was the great Reginald Martinez Jackson. And it was the Bucky Dent game. Game 163 at Fenway Park. Remember when they aired that on MLB Network? Yeah. And they showed Reggie. Reggie that year, what year was that, 79? Uh, Was that 78? Maybe it was 78. 78, 79. Reggie hit like 283. Yeah, 1978. Reggie, look it up. Reggie in the game at one point was whether he took an O for that day. and Reggie was hitting like 280. Reggie wasn't hitting 230. Uh, You there? Yeah, I'm here. 
You got one me? of us just went away real quick. Oh yeah, I don't know. Um, I heard heard it go away, but you you we're both still on the stream. Nineteen seventy eight. I'm looking at Reggie right now. He hit yeah two seventy four, twenty seven home runs, ninety seven runs driven in. I gave him a few points. Like what? Like in his prime, what was his lowest batting average? Uh, let me pull it. Reggie's lowest batting average. Um, two fifty three. Nineteen seventy five at age twenty nine. He had two fifty three, but he drove in. He had thirty six homers. Drove in one hundred and four. Give me some of his averages. Like what was his averages with the A's? All right. So age twenty nineteen. We'll start with nineteen seventy. Age twenty four. Two thirty seven. Two seventy seven. Two sixty five. Two ninety three. Two eighty nine. Two fifty three. Two seventy seven. 286 in 1980 or 1977, and then in 1978 he hit 274. Then the next year he hit 297. Yeah, I mean, you're hitting bombs and you're hitting 270 ish, right? That's what I want to see from Seth Brown. Do you know how different of a player Seth Brown would be at 270 versus 230? Well, be I on, mean, he'd be a complete, he'd be, he'd be a completely different guy. His on base percentage, looking, slugging, I'll be higher. Everything would be he'd be he, you'd be looking at him as a potential all star, and you might go, "What? Yes, do just do math, just do math." If he was a two seventy guy versus a two thirty guy, you saw what his numbers were the last two months when he started hitting. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's I, I didn't mean to get off on this walk thing, but this whole thing about just fascination with walks and not swinging it is unbelievable. And it's playing in front of our eyes to where it is uncomfortable to watch Juan Soto play. He literally the other day. It was the last game against the Mets took two. He, I think it was a one two count looked at three pitches, all three were close, didn't swing at one, and then finally swung it at a half check. It was like a two-hopper, and he was out. It's like you want a guy to go up there to swing with bad intentions. You want him to be the dude and be the guy and go up there and like Manny Machado, his teammate, as much as I'm not a Manny Machado guy, Manny, Manny Machado goes up there to do damage. This guy doesn't, and they're talking about five hundred million. You know, I wonder if in 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 some dark back places with the Nationals, if they're like, we're glad he didn't sign the four hundred something million dollar contract. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to think they would not because the new ownership and all that, and you saw kind of how he's been. You brought up Machado. He had 298 this year, 32 home runs, 102 runs driven in. And Mike Petrello said it. Mike Petrello said it. He's Juan Soto's the second best hitter on the Padres, but you're going to pay him $500 million and only pay Manny $300 million. Now, Manny's 29, but he's in the prime of his career, and he's he had an 898 OPS, and he plays great defense, and he's a leader for them. You wouldn't think that you'd hear yourself say Manny Machado's a leader, but he's became the leader for the Padres, especially now even more so with the Fernando Tatis news that happened earlier this year. And he's been out in front of it, and he's been he's been kicking ass on the field all year long for the Padres. Yeah, you look at a guy like Mookie Betts. Now you want to talk about a guy that that does everything. Here's a guy that scored 117 runs this year, hit 269, has an 873 OPS. Why? Because he hits. 
You know how many walks he had? It's 55. Yeah, it's not high. No, but he had 35 jacks. He had 82 RBIs, scored 117 runs at 154 hits, had 40 doubles. You rather have that or a guy that leads the league in walks? Yeah, I mean, I'm taking I'm taking Mookie Betts. Um, oh, by the way, nobody's 340 anymore. When uh, when Mookie Betts won the MVP at 346, that was he was great that year. Uh, he also bowled 300 again the other day. <laughs> so he's also a great bowler. I know he doesn't do a baseball, but he's also a great bowler as well. I don't have enough respect for that. That's pretty incredible. That means like every single time you release the ball, every pin goes down, right? Yeah, it's pretty much. A, it's like it's a strike. I think every time you 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 roll the ball. You're never having to go for a spare. No, that's how good he is. And it's not the first time he's done it. He's done it multiple times. He's actually a really good bowler. That is amazing. How? I mean, th- there's got to be select few human beings in the history of the world who have bowled a 300. I mean, besides, the, you know, the best bowlers of all time, Pete Weber and yeah. those guys. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, at, by the way, the anniversary of the Pete Weber uh, oh, when God. he's on the man, he did that whole thing. That was out on Twitter. That was hilarious. That that was ESPN gold back in the day. Who do you think you are? I am. That whole thing. Yeah, that video is so great. There's got to be very. It's it's like it's like the amount of people that have shot sixty two or below in golf. There's really no amateurs that have really done that. But then again, he's an is he even considered an amateur anymore? Because he's pulled in tournaments. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, and he's been doing this forever. I mean, I think he rolled his like th- first three hundred when he was in high school. Uh, Haven't you? Have you ever wondered, like, how do you get into bowling? Like, like really get into bowling? I don't know. It might be something that's passed down from generation to generation in your family. I don't know. My family wasn't we bowlers. Weren't, we weren't bowlers. Like, I mean, I've done bowling, you know, where you went and drink pitchers of beer and get food. I used to take, you know, Bass Pro Shop's got a great bowling alley over by where I live, where it's the uh, sunken ship. Yeah, and I, the ball the ball comes out either out of a great white shark, a alligator, an octopus, and the whole theme is an underwater thing. I've done that with the kids, but to actually be like, get a shirt, get a league, be on a team, I've never done that. Not saying I wouldn't. Well, we got a few bowling alleys in the South Bay um, for our audience that's listening. They're actually going away. They're actually going away. Well, they just right, built. I would say they just what? built a brand new one in uh, Valley Fair. Like they're building a huge one in Valley Fair. So, oh, they're they're becoming uh, pricey. All right, coming up next, what is the greatest score? Is it David Force? Right? Uh, yeah, David Force next. We'll talk bowling, David Force. If that doesn't hold you, I don't know what will. Right here on A's Cast Live. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, it is now time for the David Force Show right here on A's Cast Live as we talk to the general manager, kind of wrapping up the season before, I don't know, maybe going on vacation. We'll check in with him to see how life is. We were just talking about Mookie Betts bowling a 300 again, and he's been doing it since high school. I mean, I, I would never, you know, bowling was like pitchers of beer and hanging out. You ever get into bowling? No, not not competitively. I mean, for the one or two games that I play, I get competitive about it, but uh, I couldn't couldn't be serious about it. it. It's an impressive skill, though. I've I've heard stories about his 300. So, um, yeah, and I think anybody who bowls a 300 talks about it for like the next 50 years anyways. So, um, yeah, good. That, good for him. It'd be like you and I going out shooting 64 in golf. Well, that seems more attainable than a 300, to be honest. <laughs> you, just need, you just need to have one good day. You know, I, I'm ending the season on this, and I know it's not super popular, but, uh, you know, because the last day with Stephen Vogt was so special, his kids, his family, the last at-bat and everything, and I'm like, that's great. But to me, I'm into the season going, did anybody watch what Ken Waldachuk just did for seven innings against Shohei Otani? <laughs> I know I'm always looking forward. I was like, hey, the vote stuff's great, but look at Waldachuk. I mean, did you start to see what I was seeing towards the end of the season where you start going, okay, there, there's some kids here that are going to be competitive next year? Yeah, well, first I can see why that's not a particularly popular stance. The, the vote thing is a lot more fun. Um, yeah, no doubt. It was it was pretty incredible. Um, you know, there was so much sort of build up to the the last series and the last day, and a lot of us knew a lot of the things that were planned for Stephen, and including the the incredible thing with his kids announcing his first at bat, and we so we knew that was coming. And then uh, we figured there was no way the actual play on the field was gonna. Uh, was going to stack up to all the other stuff they had planned. And then the guy goes out and hits a homer in his last at bat. So pretty amazing. Um, so I get why, why the vote thing is more popular. Um, 
but certainly, you know, we noticed what Ken did, not only that start, but the ones, you know, the one leading up to it. And, and then, you know, some of the other things you and I talked about Jordan Diaz, I think the last time we talked and he continued to find his hits and, uh, and Shay got a couple of big hits in that last series, um, plus the walk off walk. So yeah, we're, look, we're always monitoring the, uh, those sort of those things that, that bode well for the future. Yeah, when I think about, you know, the game plan is figuring out how to be competitive next year. In your mind, have you started to look at starting pitching and you start to say, well, you know, you Cole Irvin, 30 starts or more. I look at Blackburn comes back. He gives me hopefully 25. If I get 20 out of Waldachuk and Sears and maybe Caprillion and I got these other guys. Do you start to form that in your mind, like that kind of the game plan of what you think could happen for next season? I think we've done that at, at pretty much every spot on the field. You know, I was asked the other day um, during our, we had our end of year sort of wrap up call with the media. We were asked about, you know, what positions are you going to be looking at this off season or, or what do you feel good about? And, and, you know, I think it goes, it sort of goes both ways. I mean, we, there are, there's things we feel really good about every everywhere on the field, but there's also uh, there's also just about every spot out there we feel like we could go out and, and address. And I think I said aside from catching because I think uh, with Murph and Shea here and some of the depth in the minor leagues, we feel really good about that spot, which is frankly a, a good place to be confident. Um, but yeah, every, everywhere else on the field, we've sort of taken stock of what's here, what we've seen in the 64 maybe players who came through here over the course of the 22 season um, and thought about who's going to continue to be here. And then, um, yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned the starting pitching and that group absolutely proved a lot this year, gave us a lot to sort of build off of. um, But absolutely it's still a spot you think, okay, what, what else is out there this off season? And then you move on to the infield and the outfield and you do kind of the same math. And, okay, we know what we have to some extent because we did get a lot of a lot of experience seeing guys over the last 50 to 60 games of the year. Um, and, then, and then put that into the equation of our offseason accounting. All right, I have a game that uh, we could play for $10 million. You've got to name all 64 players <laughs> and their numbers. Could you do it? Not their numbers, no. $10 million, David. I got the $10 million pyramid. It's yours. I, I'm i not good with numbers. No, I <laughs> I know I know the ones that are up on the, uh, on the tarps, but uh, I think I might come up with most of the names. Though, I don't know. We added, we added some guys late, so someone might sneak by me. But, no, you got me with the numbers. So this offseason – You know, we were just talking to Mike Petriello from MLB.com how just, you know, the last few years, my God, what you've been through as an executive when you talk about protecting everybody in the organization with COVID, the shortened season, playing a year after a shortened season, then all of a sudden you have this lockout, then you got to move players. Is it just going to be refreshing for you guys to go into a regular offseason again? For sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we sort of hold our breath a little bit because there's always, you know, who knows what's out there, but yeah, a lot of our conversations 
um, you know, on, on planning, on budgeting, on personnel have been about the fact that like, okay, we, we think we're in the clear. We're going into this off season with a regular schedule, with the regular amount of time to have our conversations and our moves. And then, uh, a full spring training next year, which, um, you know, which hasn't been the case really for a while, even the 21 spring training, despite the fact that it, it, we had the full amount of time, it was, it was kind of broken up because you had so much COVID protocol going on. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a source of comfort for us right now to think we're going to have a regular off season. If there was an area that you want to concentrate, I mean, anything can happen a lot going on here as we're not even out of the playoffs, but right now, if there was an area you want to concentrate on the big club, making the big club more competitive next year, what would that area be? It's, hard to pinpoint one i mean i i don't even sort of just focus on players i mean i think there's their staff things there are front office things that go into that that we're focused on on upgrading and improving and and adding to um so it's hard to sort of say there's one thing i mean look like like i said from a player standpoint i think um, I think there are a number of areas we can address, and that happens through guys coming through the system. It potentially happens through uh, through trade conversations, which have been kind of stunted the last two years, and and ultimately, um, you know, major major and minor league free agency. I mean, all these things are are ways you know ways that we have access to players right now, and I think we'll take advantage of all of them this offseason. You know, when you look at a player who you can say he got better and I know he's at this age, but he's still under control, but he, you know, this is his prime. Just talk about what you saw from Seth Brown, the man, not only as a player, but as a leader off the field and especially those last two months, how things really changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, as soon as you sort of started that sentence, I was, I was sort of hoping and, and expecting that's where you were going to that name because um, because when you when you sort of pose that that question, like who who's the guy who took the biggest leap forward or, or made the most progress? I mean, Seth has to be the first name that you think of, and um, you know from from where he came a couple of years ago. And shoot, I remember having conversations about whether we thought he might end up going to Asia to play and not get a chance to establish himself here. I mean, he really. Um, he really took a step forward on the field. You saw it in the power. You saw it in his versatility, playing first base and outfield. And then, you know, we really saw it in the clubhouse. I think if you ask, if you ask Cots right now, the guys coming back. I mean, who are the guys that set the tone in there? And and that's not always the most vocal guy or um, sort of the most rah rah. But the guys who who work hard, who you know who can sort of silently lead other guys, Seth has to be at the top of that list. And, and I don't think anybody would have said that a year or two ago. So it's, it's been fun to watch where he, where he got to at the end of this season. You know, for a lot of us that have been around here for some time, you know, it's just continuity is huge for us and it's what we expect. And listening to that end of the year zoom that you guys had, and all of a sudden, here comes, I call him Columbo, the John Shea of the Bay Area media, where he comes in with the question about, hey, you know, are, are you going to be back? And I, I, I'm just saying, why are we asking Dark Front <laughs> Office if they're going to be back? Like, 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 is that just John Shea being his Columbo, always trying to look around the corner? Or like, what, what, uh, like, I'm kind of like, well, 
of course you're going to be back. What the hell are we talking about? We, we just answer the questions. So I know, I know he asked Billy a few different ways and a few different times. And as yeah. Billy said, he doesn't see a time when he's not part of the A's. So um, yeah, we, that, that's stuff we don't have, really have to worry about much uh, each off season. Cause we do have so much stability and frankly, so much loyalty from the people here um, that I, I appreciate, you know, most of the time, that's not something we have to factor into our offseason planning. Well, what people need to understand, let's just talk about you, is that you're somebody, you want to be here. You've had multiple chances to leave here and go to another job. Uh, your wife likes it here. You like raising your family here. I, I think people need to understand where, where you're like, there's a reason why I'm here. It's because you want to be here because you could have taken other jobs. <laughs> well, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, I, the people here are fantastic. It's it, the, this organization is about the people you work with uh, and the opportunities that that you get to enjoy enjoy that dynamic. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've gone down the list before, you know, from Billy and Billy and Dan all the way down to to Eric and Keith and Grady and Ed Sprague and Chris Pitaro and all these people sort of make this organization what it is. And I think that's why a lot of us have stayed and a lot of us have been have been loyal to the A's because we we enjoy who we work with. You know, when you think about your job now from when you first came in with the A's years ago and even what Billy was years ago till now, just how much have front offices change just how much has the business of baseball and the way front offices operate how much has it changed it the, the industry has changed a lot and there there's you know there's a need for just a, a lot more a lot more hands a lot more bodies and and it's a bigger job i mean you are uh, you know you're talking about a lot more money involved you're talking about a lot more um you know a lot more at stake and you know, where I came into a, essentially a three-person front office with with me and Billy and, and Paul De Podesta, um, you know, you're talking about factors of ten now that that have changed the size of a front office, and and the the game demands it. There's so much more information. There's so much more we're able to do and offer to to players and staff, and um, just with the you know, the access to, to impacting the, the access to info that helps you impact the game. Uh, I'm really, you know, I'm happy we've been able to add to the staff as much as we have. And again, like I said a little earlier, we, we hope to continue to, to add an upgrade around here. Yeah. And the number one thing, you know, it's so true is the money, you know, cause I remember when we were growing up, like when I was in high school in the late eighties, then into college in the early nineties, we were talking about, wow, there was that group of players, right? Like Ricky and Jose and Will Clark and Kirby Puckett. These guys are getting three, four million a year. And that just seemed like, wow, three, four million dollars a year to where now you're offering. I don't even know if you call it generational wealth. And when you start talking about four hundred million dollar contracts, three hundred million dollar contracts, we got a player, Juan Soto, turned over, turned down over four hundred million. I mean. Yeah, the money in, in all sports, let alone just baseball, but in all sports, is it just mind blowing? The money and the stuff that you that we don't see that you get to see that it's just so hard to believe. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the, the most sort of public or forward facing is our player salaries, um, and they have 
they have gone up by, you know, like you said, three and four million was was a big deal in the early nineties and thirty and forty million contracts are out there everywhere now. Um and and that, you know, that overflows into all the other things that are happening around the game in terms of um, you know, player development and scouting and and research and development and all that stuff. You're you're investing a lot more in, into the product. When you think about just, you know, because fans always just care about next season. Like, how's it going to be next season? I mean, you can look, project a couple of years down the line, but next season, where do you think you need to shop and get the best possible player <laughs> to be competitive for next season? Um, I, again, I, I sort of hesitate to put a, a limit or or kind of narrow it down when you know we obviously have a a lot of work to do. Anytime you come off uh, a season like we had, I think you can point to any number of places that you can go to improve the team. You know where where to find players. You know where to make adjustments. So I, I don't know that there's you know, that there's somewhere specifically that you say we go. Are there any of the guys at the end of the season? I'll throw one name out there because I know he intrigued me, and I mentioned him to Cots. I kind of made the body comparison to Brian Giles, dating myself. But uh, Connor Capel kind of remind me, Giles had more a loopy swing. Capel's more of a flatter swing through the zone. But the kind of the body style, that stocky, Capel's interesting to me. Like I, I'm like he's a guy that I go, you know, I I want to see more of him. Can you give us a couple of those guys where you say to yourself, you brought him in, you gave him an opportunity, and you go, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of this guy. Yeah, Connor's definitely on that list, and and you know, again, took advantage of the opportunity, came up late, um, but got some abs, had some really big, you know, productive ABs and, and played the outfield. He, he's on that list. We mentioned Jordan Diaz, who found a way to continue getting his hits at every level, including the big leagues. Uh, Dermis Garcia had some moments that make you say, hey, I want to see what this guy can do. He's still still young, 25 years old, guy who was originally, you know, a bonus baby out of the Dominican and, and has the the pedigree. Um, and we saw the the real power and but a guy who sort of got better as his playing time increased. And, and that's that's what you look for. I've talked a couple times about Nick Allen and his two stints in the big leagues, how from from the first to the second one, you saw him catch up a little bit more with the speed of the game. And you saw him do some things that maybe he didn't do the first time he was here early in the season. Um, and that those that's what you look for is is kind of on the fly progress and and you know Capel hit the ground running Dermis had better at bats as as September went along um, and then you know the pitchers that you mentioned you mentioned Wall the Chuck Sears is in that same boat uh, JP did a nice job you know with a handful of starts um, and some guys in the bullpen you saw Tyler Sears throw some important innings for us again a guy who was claimed off waivers. Um, similar to Joel Piamps, who you think, okay, like this is a guy who, who could fit at the back end of a major league game. And I, I like what he did with the opportunity that Mark and Emo gave him. And one more baseball. Are, are, are you excited of the progress and hopefully the future, which could be even next year with guys like Soderstrom and Geloff and these guys that you saw make that push at the end to AAA? 
Yeah, for for sure. There there are a lot of a lot of real positive things coming out of the minor leagues. I'm actually I'm going to head down to the fall league next week to see. Uh, you know, we've got Geloff, uh, Denzel Clark, Lawrence Butler playing down there, and then you know full a full starting pitching staff basically, and Ginn, Cusack, Miller, and Palouse. So I'm going to head down and see those guys. But all of those plus Soderstrom, McCann. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to forget some guys. Um, you know, Max Muncie getting to Lansing. There was a there were a lot of positives in player development this year, and a lot of a lot of things that help us figure out sort of the timeline going forward of when when we feel like guys might be able to contribute in Oakland. Beyond baseball, what's the big off season thing for the Force family? <laughs> I, I got like four soccer games to go to every weekend right now. I. I <laughs> In the last two weekends, I've seen Dublin, I've seen Pleasanton, San Ramon, and Danville. I'm uh, I'm up early for one game, coming back for another. I love I love watching the kids' soccer games right now. So I can't I can't see beyond that through through the end of November, really. So, but it's it's been fun to have the time to do that. Oh, I, I'm knee deep in high school football with my kids cheerleading. It's like all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, tomorrow night's the game. They've had Saturday <laughs> night games, Friday night games. Now they're playing James Lick on Thursday. You're like, oh my, it's a, yeah, we're at that point in our lives where, yeah, I'd love to do a European vacation for two weeks, but yet <laughs> there's always something else going on. Club, club soccer, school soccer, and baseball's right around the corner. Maybe I'll have time to take in a Cal Bears football game at some point. But, uh, yeah, those are our big, exciting plans right now. Well, I I always think that these conversations are unique because of how honest you are. I I, I tell the fans all the time, you've never said, hey, don't ask me this. Don't go with that. I mean, you answer the questions. You're as honest as honest can be, and it makes for a great show. It makes our show better. I can't tell you how much we appreciated everything you did for us again here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live during the season. So thank you. Enjoy the offseason. We'll check in soon. Hopefully we'll see you down in San Diego for the winter meetings. Well, I, I appreciate all that, Chris. I I'm, I'm really appreciate you and Cody doing this all year, keeping things positive, the fans sticking with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do this offseason. Be well. All right. See you, Tony. David Forrest, the general manager of your Oakland Athletics. I I got a lot of time on my hands, I admit, now that I don't do football anymore, I'm not traveling anymore, and I've just been thinking about stuff. And I've actually start started – in my mind, like an idea of how the A's could be competitive next year, right? I mean, that's that's what we that you you've got to understand reality, right? I'm not I'm not putting I'm not putting it in my mind. This is how the A's dethrone the Astros. This is how the A's replace the Mariners. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is competitive, right? What we talked about during the season was, you know what? When you're watching this team, what guys are competitive and what guys aren't? There's competing going on. And I'm going to tell you, before I get to that point, Cody, the iPad is not charging. Well, that's not good. That's not good at all. That's weird. Usually, we're, down to, we're down to 10%. Usually charges while it's on that, when it's using that hub. 
Um, might have to switch it over to your computer camera. That's odd. That's really odd that it's not charging with that cable and everything we have for it. It was it charged on. And I Monday. love this setup. The screen. Look at the jerseys. Look great. When we use it on Monday too. Uh, it was. I don't know. That's weird. That it's not. That's not charging. But. Um, oh. No, I'm still here. Don't worry. Rut row, as they used to say on Scooby Doo. But I'm telling you, I'm coming. I'm formulating a plan that I'll say. In my mind, can Cole Irvin give you 30 starts? I think so. He did it this year. He's got two years in a row. Yeah. Can he get 200 innings? Can Black? Uh, you know what? You ruined baseball for me, so I'm not even going to go there. Anymore. By the <laughs> way, when you take me out to dinner. Well, you have, you're the busy one. you got football games on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. Every, it's it, – for some reason, San Jose State and Willow Glen football have like, hey, let's connect our schedules every night. Uh, clearly. Uh, high school football's off. Well, it's almost over. You only got another month. It's awful. It's like, I like sitting in the stands and me and my buddy were like sitting there going, man, I wish my high school teams would have played against these chumps. We'd have rolled them by 80. I mean, there's no talent. No offense to the kids on the high school football team where my kids go to school. And the teams are playing. They're terrible. But um, Blackburn, 25 starts? I think so. I mean, you're hoping for that, right? I mean, you're coming back from the okay. coming off the injury. Can I get 20 from Waldachuk? You, you, I, mean, you, I mean, you have to. I mean, he's only, what is he, 24, 25? He's young. So you're hoping you get that. Because okay. Black, Blackburn threw 111 okay. and a third this year. So Okay, so I'll go 30 plus 25. You just said 20. Okay. Uh, do I get 20 from Sears? Yeah. Okay. 20 from Cap? Yes. Yeah. I just got you 115 starts right there out of 162. Now, obviously, not everybody's going to stay healthy. You're going to need other guys. We've clearly established that, that you're going to need 10-plus guys to start this year. But out of those five, get me 115. I have a chance to be competitive. If the bullpen doesn't implode, if you don't overwork them, and those guys, that five, give you 115, you're now talking about a potential competitive situation. Now, run score is going to be – I'm telling you right now, as we love to have themes here on this show, I love themes. What's the theme of spring training? What's the theme of the winter meetings? The big thing going in for me – I'll get take a guess, Cody. What do you think the big theme is? Uh, well, last year was your discovery, so this year it's how to be competitive. How are you going to score runs? How are you going to score runs? I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you're running around the bases. I don't care if you're hitting it out of the ballpark. I don't care how you do it. How are you going to do it? That's the question. How are you going to score runs? I can find you starts. I can find you innings. I can find you pitching. You're going to have to tell me, uh, what was it? Basically, a 29-point-something percent of all games for the A's last year, they scored one run or less? Yeah, I took it off the off our playbook. Um, I had the exact number of how many times they scored one run or less. I have it on in a different document, but it wasn't the number wasn't pretty. No. 
All right, coming up next, Dave O'Brien from the Boston Red Sox. But he's not with the Red Sox right now. He's with ESPN. He is doing he's doing Mariners Astros. Will he agree with me on the Michael Myers com- comparison? Is Michael Myers is that who the Astros are to the Mariners? We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. The call- Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's lastdivebar.com. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Streaming from the East Bay... A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. And Dave O'Brien joins us as he's calling the game for ESPN between the Astros and the Mariners. You know him as the face of Red Sox television. Always great to have him on the program as he's down there in Texas. How are you? I'm doing well, Chris. Hope you're well, too. And, uh, yeah, this series got off to a rather... Uh, legendary raucous start uh, the other day. So it's a weird setup, too, because we have a day off today. You know, yeah. you play every day. And tomorrow we play, and then we get on a, a flight and fly to Seattle uh, the next day. So it's it's staggered very differently. But so far, it's been a blast. Well, I, I said at the start of this show, the Houston Astros are like Michael Myers to the Seattle Mariners. It's like the movie Halloween. You can stab him. You can shoot him. You can run him over with a car. You just can't kill him. I mean, for the Seattle Mariners, they've done everything. Now for a few years, dating back to 2019, they have just struggled to beat these guys. And, and you're just like, out of the ashes, here come Ber- Bregman goes deep, Alvarez goes deep, and the Mariners got to, what do we got to do to take these guys down? Yeah, I think, and, you know, you get six on Verlander, you figure you're going to win that game. I mean, he had a bad day. It's the day they've been waiting for. And yet, you know, they were down four runs most of the day, and they come back, and and Houston wins the game anyway. Uh, Pretty pretty amazing performance yesterday, particularly by uh, Jordan Alvarez. And, you know, to do what he did, he drove in five runs. That's a great pitching staff, as you know. They're in Houston, number one pitching staff in the American League. 290 ERA, uh, man, you get seven runs on them. You've got to win that ball game. So now the Mariners are in a world of hurt up against uh, uh, Valdez tomorrow, and we'll see how that goes. But, I mean, I mean obviously they're throwing a stud themselves. Yeah. It, yes, it's a great pitcher's duel, but uh, if Seattle doesn't win that game, um, even though they're going back to Seattle in front of that great atmosphere, 
they're in terrible shape. You know, the one thing, you know, being an American League guy, it's not like you're covering a National League series, so you know so much about these two teams. And it's just, it really is so impressive what the Astros have built. Uh, obviously, we've had our issues, our battles, and the whole scandal, whatever, but that's so past them now. Just just talk about what you see, what this team, what they've done so many, so many years, the Astros, it's just so impressive. You know, they've done a great job, Chris, I think, of, of keeping the core together, but the players that they don't require anymore bringing in new guys. They've done a really good job with that. So there's some new faces uh, with their ball club. you got a guy like, you know, Kyle Tucker, who has risen up and become a 30-home run, 100-RBI guy. Alvarez has become one of the great hitters in baseball. We saw that with the Red Sox last year in the ALCS. We could not get him out. He hit 500 against Boston. He was the major reason that they won that series. So, you know, you, you obviously have El Tuve, as you mentioned, Bregman. You've got key guys who've been there for a while, but they've done a really good job bringing the others in. And, you know, let's face it, their pitching staff is out of this world. Uh, they won the Triple Crown for pitchers in the American League. Uh, maybe the Dodgers and then Houston, if, if not a dead heat, those two staffs. Uh, so I think they're as good as it gets or as balanced as it gets. And, uh, you know, they're trouble for anybody up and down that lineup. And I think the pitching staff speaks for itself. And, and they, they had a, a great, great year. It's a tough bullpen as well, as you know. You know, the Mariners had that great run at the end. You know, they clinched while we were there. We saw the big party there at T-Mobile, which we all called Safeco back in the day. And then, of course, historic what they did in Toronto. How do you keep the fun rolling after a game like that? How do you keep that momentum going? That's a great point. I mean, you know, and, and look what they did, you know, against Toronto to, to come from seven down and they, they win that game and, and then they're up four runs in a heartbeat in Houston, and it feels like it's rolling. It, it it feels like everyone ought to put a stop sign on the playoffs and go take a look at Seattle. And then you know just a heartbreaking a heartbreaking loss yesterday. And you know it, it was fascinating to listen to some of the explanations as to like why Scott Service decided to go with Robbie Ray in that situation, lefty lefty. But Ray's had a terrible time with that team. And that guy, you don't throw two fastballs to. I think you go a month without throwing two fastballs to that guy. <laughs> and hit it to the moon and you know, 117 miles an hour off the bat, you know, for almost 440, 430 for the home run. Uh, it was great to be in there, by the way. And where I'm uh, talking to you, Chris, is literally half a mile from the ballpark, Minute Maid. And when that shot went, and it was so instantaneous, that everybody in the ballpark knew game's over time to celebrate the roar that went up there was about as loud as anything I've heard in a while in major league baseball. Well, with the Yankees winning the Dodgers winning and the Astros winning, the only team that had the buy that didn't, you know, any team that had the, had the time off. But when you think about the Yankees and you think about the Astros, you think about the Dodgers, is it nice that we're not sitting here going, well, they didn't do what was right when they took time off and blah, 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 because that would have that been kind of time. Yeah, I think, look, I love this new uh, alignment. I, I don't know about you. Great. I think it's been great, it, especially that, that first round and now here in the division series has a feel of an NCAA tournament, like the early rounds of the NCAA, and that can only be great for Major League Baseball. So, you know, every once in a while, baseball figures out this is the right way to do something. Add more playoff teams, play a best of three instead of a do or die. 
best of five in the division series. Uh, there's great intensity. There's great heat on these series. And people seem to really like it and uh, and want to continue in, in this fashion. So I think it's been great. I You know, there was a little rust, obviously, showing with Verlander, I thought, yesterday. And, you know, some of the other teams, like, you know, the Dodgers kind of squeaked by and they'd been sitting still for a while. But in the end, those teams won their games. Yeah, it's so interesting when you mention, like, college basketball. We've said for years here, when you expand postseason, did it hurt March Madness? Has it hurt college football? Has it hurt the NFL? The NBA, no. And yesterday kind of had that feel where we had baseball all day long. You saturated the market. Yeah, could you sit there and watch every single game? Probably not. But at some point, you were watching baseball. And like what you see on the first couple rounds of college basketball, you got everybody paying attention to your product, at least at some point during the day. Couldn't agree more. And I, you know, people make fun of baseball a lot because of the the pace of play. And, you know, in, in some cases, in some markets, you've got a much older fan base. But this is a great way of youthening up the fan base, I think. By these are really compelling games. And there are great players playing in these games. And that's very attractive to a, a more youthful fan base and a fan base that can grow with the game. So, you know, every once in a while, as I said, baseball makes really smart decisions that they should get credit for. I think what was done this year for the postseason is absolutely a grand slam. Well, you know, some of the games went chalk, and that's exactly what happened with the Yankees and the Indians. I'm so pulling for the Indians. Do you give them – what kind of chance do you give the Indians in this best of five now down one zip? Well, I had them in the first round against Tampa Bay, Chris, and I, I can tell you they it's it, it's just the devil of a time for Terry Francona's team to score runs. You know, they can pitch. They can hang with you. They can hang with you in the bullpen. But I just think the Yankees have too much firepower. They, they'll score too many runs, uh, and that's that's going to be the key to it. I, I think Terry Francona had the best managerial year of anybody in the American League and should walk to the manager of the year. They have 17 guys who made their major league debut this year. They're the youngest team in baseball. So I think, you know, you you look at them and you go, you know, okay, maybe they belong here, but they don't belong any deeper in the postseason because they don't know any better. And they're they're a bunch of kids. They're incredibly talented. Of course, I hold Jose Ramirez over here because he's an extraordinary player and a veteran guy. But that's a really, really young team. The Yankees are not. Uh, the Yankees are primed, I think, to move on to the next round. But look, you know, they they put a little scare into them in game number one, and they can do it again. But I, I watched them, you know, score one run in 15 innings the other day, and that was on a walk-off home run. Now that's kind of kind of the way I think they have to win games right now. How wild was that game to call where you just keep going inning after inning, but yet unbelievable defense was being played, strategy. What was it like to be a part of that? I'm not going to lie to you. The the thing that uh, was most on my mind from like the 11th inning to the 15th inning is, can I get to the bathroom? I mean, <laughs> give me three minutes. I swear I can get this done. But in Cleveland, for whatever reason, the men's room is about six miles away down the hallway. The breaks for us were only like 90 seconds. You know what that's like. I mean, good luck. So that was number one. But the, the baseball was pretty compelling. I mean, the pitching was really good. The bullpens were deep for, for both of those teams. 
you felt like one run would do it all day long and you're waiting for that one run. I think it's great when baseball has it finished. Like, you know, we had it yesterday in Houston and we, and we had it in Cleveland the other day, you know, somebody gets a hold of one, walks it off and the place goes bananas. And those are the dream games. And, uh, and we had a great time there in Cleveland. And I think it's a terrific city for baseball. They don't always draw well, but they did draw well in those games. And they've done, they've done an amazing thing getting in the postseason here in the last several years uh, with the exception of one year. I think Frank Cohn is as good as it gets. I, you know, I'll bet you think he's one of the top two or three managers in baseball too. Do you have to think for your game, TV, radio, do you, do, do you switch? Do you prepare differently or is it, you just do what you do? Preparation's a little bit different. I think a little more inside baseball on the radio side, because you've got more room to fill. Uh, but at the same time, it's all about resetting to, you know, TV, we're watching the game. So we're complimenting the pictures on radio. Every single thing has to be uh, mentioned. Nothing happens unless the play-by-play guy says it does, including the pitch, the swing, where the foul ball went, all of those details, you know, wh- whether it was a two hopper to short or a line drive scooped up on a backhand at a long throw with one foot on the grass. All of those things are required because You've got a captive audience. Most people are listening in their cars. 99% of people are listening in their cars. They've got nowhere else to get the game. So you have to be that descriptive. And on the television side, you can, you know, I I can sit with Dennis Eckersley and just have fun, you know, with with the Red Sox and just compliment those pictures, the great pictures that our crew gives us. Eckersley, hard to believe. No more Eck? How'd you let that guy walk? Yeah, yeah. we, We came close to throwing a rope around him and, and tying him to the booth for next year. And I'm not kidding. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, Chris, everybody in, in Oakland yeah. and loves him and, and there in the East Bay. But the same is true in Boston and all through New England. But we had him, you know, the last three days of the season, Eck and I uh, doing the last three games of his career. And he was really emotional. I don't know how much, you know, people in Oakland saw or, or watched any of the highlights, but he was a mess uh, for three days. And it wasn't about broadcasting. It was about the end of this 50-year journey in professional baseball that he's been on. And you know all the changes he's been through as a human being, let alone yeah. a broadcaster. Um, it was incredible to be a part of that. But the love and the outpouring for Eck in Boston blew him away. I don't think he really got it until those last three days how much he's loved and uh, we can't replace him. You know, I don't think broadcasting can replace Dennis Eckersley. He turned out to be a great analyst of the game. He, he was as good at that as he was closing games for Tony La Russa. I swear to God he was. And one of the great oversights in our business was the national networks never scooped him up and put him in the booth and said, here's the number one game of the week. Dennis Eckersley is the number one analyst. That should have been done. He's an extraordinary talent in the booth. He really became open and so honest. Sometimes it hurt yes. him, you know. Every once in a while, as we know, it hurt him, and he was aware of that. But he had to say it. He had to be truthful, honest, from the heart. And it was so fresh and real. And I got messages all through those days from broadcast executives who were watching, who were like, he's so authentic. It doesn't get any more authentic than the Eck, you know. It was so real. And whenever I interviewed him at times, you'd be like, I can't believe you said that about yourself. This the straight 
honesty that he had, the the the, the self uh, where he could really look at his career and and you could tell so motivated by failure and fear. I've never heard a great athlete still talk so long after his career about his failures and his failures and his fear are what motivated him and propelled him to greatness. He's really fascinating. Yeah, that's so true. And don't you think he should write a book? No, no doubt. I mean, I mean, a lot of guys, especially when they're done, they only people only remember the good times. But I mean, you talk about someone who could really look at his game, what he was good at, what he wasn't good at. He'd be totally honest with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then as a broadcaster, yeah, he was gold because you know what you want. You may be thinking it. He's not going to give you the same old, same old broadcaster speak. He, He spoke from the heart. He told you exactly what he was feeling. And that's what we want. That's I, I, you can't replace him. Cause I don't think, I don't, I don't think there's too many guys that have the cojones to do that live on television. Well, that's right. And even in the last days, uh, Will Middlebrooks, who's a rookie uh, analyst was in the booth and he asked Dennis, what advice as a great retiring analyst do you have for me? And X said, you got to take off the uniform. You got to get out of the dugout. And that doesn't mean that you cannot, praise players and you know scream and hollow and guys do amazing things and believe me dennis did a ton of that but you have to be willing to say look you can't butcher that ball like that not in the big leagues you know he was self-critical where uh, he might criticize a pitcher for not covering the bag and getting over there but eck would then say lord knows i did it six or seven times one season i just didn't get there and i know how easy it is to you know, he, he was marvelous with that. He had a, a comment about the Pittsburgh Pirate lineup. Sox were playing the Pirates late in the year. A list of guys no one's really heard of before. And X said, it's uh, it's basically a no-name lineup. It's kind of embarrassing. A major league uh, franchise would put that out. Uh, and he caught a lot of heat for that. But that was yet another example of saying, hey, this is the truth. Uh, this is a terribly low payroll. They're not really trying. Look at the list of guys. Uh, you know, he wasn't afraid to catch heat if heat was coming. Okay, so when we look at the Red Sox, your your ball club, you know, you got all these teams in the East. Now that Baltimore's taken that step up, what do you think the future is next season for the Boston Red Sox in a very tough division? Well, I think, Chris, and we talked about this uh, in the tail end of our, of our season, the last couple of months, because the Sox were out of it. We believe this is going to be the most active winter the Red Sox have had in years. And, in fact, John Henry, the owner, came up to our booth the last day of the season to say goodbye to Dennis. And we got talking about all the moves that had to be made. And those guys are angry. Those guys are ticked off at the season. That's a $240 million payroll. And dead last behind everybody in the division. That's just not acceptable here. And uh, it's not acceptable with, thankfully, with that ownership group. You know, they brought four championships here. Uh, They were humiliated in a lot of ways, you know, spending that kind of money. So I think it's going to be an incredibly busy offseason. I think Red Sox have to figure out what to do with Xander Bogarts or he's gone. They have to determine are they going to up Rafi Devers to the 300 million range. Is he worth that? They have to get more offense. They need a DH because J.D. Martinez is walking. They need tons of bullpen help. They need another couple of starters. A lot of money to be spent. They have the money to do it because there's a lot of guys like J.D. Martinez coming off the books. But 
uh, how they spend it. Heim Bloom is under a lot of heat here in Boston. So when you look at the rest, how much do you have the rest of the way series-wise for ESPN Radio? I've got this one, this one between Houston and Seattle, and then I go back to doing college football. Yeah, I was about to say, how is ACC football? Are you excited? Well, it's been an interesting, interesting year, and NC State just had a big win over Florida State over the weekend. That was that was big for the conference. Uh, Dave Dorn actually does a really good job there uh, at that. Better than people think, a lot better than people think. He's a terrific coach. Puts a lot of guys in the NFL. Uh, but you know, it's the ACC, so it doesn't get the coverage of some of the other conferences. But there's some really good teams. It's some really good coaches. It's not just Dabo and Clemson, <laughs> although he does what he's done is ridiculous. But is a lot of there's a lot of pretty good coaches in that league. Yeah, I was trying to explain on the show that Clemson just built just picture. It's like over 100 yards long. It's a rehab training. I don't know if you've seen it, but they've got everything to the cryo chambers. So they've got <laughs> they've got so much money. They don't know what to do with it. So they're they're building facilities now at these schools and Clemson's one of them. That yep, NFL yep. teams wish they had. Oh, you're exactly right. That facility, uh, we did a game there about three weeks ago. They took us in for a tour. I hopped in that cryogenic thing. I grew four inches. I didn't know that was humanly possible. That was yeah, like yeah, I heard you were running a four five forty after that. <laughs> it's it's it, you're exactly right. It's among the more impressive things you'll ever see on a college campus. Uh, but that whole athletic facility is out of this world. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. I mean, you're one of the top broadcasters in our business, and every single time we get you, you make our program so much better. Uh, thank you, and uh, you've got the you got the night free there. Are we going for a nice dinner? Yeah, we're gonna find uh, we're gonna find a margarita somewhere here in Houston. I think I hear you can get that done. So, uh, oh yes, you can. <laughs> we'll uh, do a toast to you, Chris. Thanks. Always great to see you, my friend. Great stuff. Have a great dinner. We'll be listening tomorrow. Thanks, my man. The great Dave O'Brien right here on A's Cast Live. I've noticed since we've had to switch, Cody, like since I have a my Marcus Simeon black shirt on, that I actually blend into the wall. A little bit, but I mean, you can still see you, so. Thanks. Uh, Is that better? Uh, yeah. A little more light. Yeah. Uh, and we're now dealing with my my computer camera, so it is what it is. There, you know, since Dave's on the call for the uh, the Astros and Mariners, there, there was a stat about Jordan Alvarez in that game yesterday. Where do I? I know I have so many stats between ones I found and ones you sent me that are that are incredible. By the way, Tyler Kepner from the New York Times is coming up here in about ten minutes. We get him for about ten minutes, so he's going to be on from like three to three ten. He has to be out by three ten because he has a bunch. Oh, of is he? Games. He's on his book signing thing. Yeah, so we only get him for like ten minutes. But Jordan Alvarez, according to ESPN stats at info. Um, he recorded the second walk-off home run in the postseason by a team down to its final out. The other, unfortunately, was Kirk Gibson's walk-off homer versus Eck in, ni- in game one of the 1988 World Series. There have been four players, Lenny Dykstra, Kirk Gibson, Joe Carter, and Jordan Alvarez, are the only four players ever in MLB history to had a postseason walk-off home run with its team trailing. So he had some history. We saw what happened with Verlander yesterday. Uh, not a great start for Verlander, but it was also his seventh start versus the Mariners in 2022. Well, I'll up you on you. You want yo, you want to go Jordan for Jordan? Let's hear it. 
postseason career by round. What do you think is his best round? Probably the AL. I'll say the ALCS. It's this series, the ALDS. He's a career 343 hitter. That's a very impressive for him. He's not old either. His splits are 452 for on base and slugging is 657. Seven extra base hits, nine RBIs. And most postseason series with 1,000 OPS or higher before turning 26, he's tied with three guys. He's tied with Chipper Jones, Hall of Famer, Rafi, Rafi Devers, and Randy Arozarena. He was so it's it's Jordan, Chipper, Randy, and Rafi, all with three series of an OPS of 1,000 or higher before turning 26. That's uh that's good company to be in because well you know how how good a Rosarena is in the postseason and Rafi Devers as Dave O'Brien mentioned he's gonna be a guy that the Red Sox have to decide if they want to give three hundred million dollars to, and Chipper Jones is arguably the greatest maybe the second greatest switch hitter of all time behind Mickey Mantle depending on who you want to ask, but Jordan you know the whole thing yesterday was the lefty righty matchup between Seawald and Robbie Ray it doesn't matter. In his career, Jordan Alvarez is a 303 hitter versus lefties and 292 versus righties. Does it really matter who he's facing? But Seawald, what, what, what did Mike Petrillo call him? Uh, Seawald? So yeah, something like that. I thought it was Seawald. I don't, I don't know. It's Seawald. Uh, he's better against lefties yeah, one, than, one, than Robbie Ray. If you start looking at the numbers. 107 batting like, average against lefties for Seawald. It was kind of like taking him out for Robbie Ray was just – it's. It's not a good if if we're going if we're going to go Ali Marmol and be all St. Louis Cardinals. I'm going by the percentages. If you want me to be a modern day manager robot, I'm I, you would have kept Seawald in. Yeah, for sure. 107 batting average against left-handed hitters, a 589 OPS where Robbie Ray had a 212 batting average allowed against left-handers and a 647 OPS. Now, we know Scott Service doesn't mind bringing in – this is his first postseason as a manager, but he brought George Kirby in to pitch against the Blue Jays, and it was a part of the process. He spoke about it uh, a little bit earlier today before the game, or on the off day. So he does, he's not afraid to bring these guys in, but, I mean, Robbie Ray hasn't been good. I mean, he was oh. really bad to start the year. He got good in the middle, then he was bad again at the end. He wasn't good in his postseason start, or he was okay. No, he wasn't good. Oh, he was. He got yeah. knocked out. He got knocked out early. Yeah. So, and it's then you bring on. him in the pitch in this game, Lur. I mean, it's 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 not Julio Arias coming in the pitch like he did for the Dodgers. You know, a guy that has done it before. Robbie Ray's not. No, he's not used to it. So I would have left Seawald in for sure. But it doesn't matter. Jordan hits everyone, so it doesn't really matter. The House Can of Horrors. Can you ask him about Eck retiring and working with him on TV? You're you just you're a little late. Uh, I sent that a while ago. Yeah. Well. I'm so, just saying it well, now. Well, it's good because he Dave organically brought up Eck, and then you went right. You guys went right into it, so it was perfect that that, that happened. And uh, self analysis, man. Nobody, nobody like can break down himself like Dinner Sackersley. He's he oh, he's truly amazing. These, but but the one thing that Dave and and Dave gets it so much because of of his time in college football. See, that's the thing. We've got a lot of guys in our sport who only do our sport. So they don't get, they may watch other sports, but I've, I've tend to notice that people who just work in the NBA 
or they just work college football or college basketball or they just work NFL, which is hard to just work NFL because it's not that long of a season. You get paid per game. But, you know, this you just I mean, if you just work hockey, you don't understand the other sports. And you just probably casually watch them to where someone like Dave, who works in ACC territory and does ACC games, he understands there is this mass value where you could say, Chris, yesterday's game, one game was 340, the other one was like 321, the other game was 319, and I think Dodgers Padres was 250-something. Like, oh, my God. I mean, seriously. But you, but you got to realize the business strategy around that is to have games all day long. No one's going to sit around and watch. I watch as much as I could. Actually, I was playing golf yesterday watching. I'd hit the shot, but I had it on my phone. I was watching the game. The, I was watching the broadcast on my phone and then came home and watched all the games. And, then of course, the two games, the Astros and Mariners bled into – uh, well, they started, and then Phillies, Atlanta bled into that. But, yeah, I watched as much as possible. But the thing is, you have it going all day, so it's top of mind all day long. Whether you saw five minutes or you saw, God, it would have been close to 11 hours worth of baseball. The fact that it was on all day keeps it top of mind and keeps it. This is what baseball needs to do. This is what the basketball. Do you think everybody sits there and is able to watch every single tournament game of the first four days? No. But the fact that there's a, always a game on, you saturate the market with coverage. Yeah, and I thought the games yesterday were good. Now we saw – we'll have to get into it after we talk to Tyler Kepner, but we'll, we'll have to get into the lack thereof of starting pitching, uh, length in the games, and – the Dave Roberts stat that you and I were talking about last night and his starters. And, uh, you know, going back to look at the Braves, the Braves have only had two starters in the postseason since 2020 go more than six in, six plus innings, meaning you got more, you want six and a third, six and two thirds. It was Max Freed did it twice. No one else has done it more than that. And the Braves need some length out of their starting pitches. We saw both him and Ranger Suarez yesterday go three and a third for the Phillies and the Braves, respectively and the game that ended up being 7-6 that wasn't really that close until the ninth inning when Matt Olsen hit that three-run homer. So they're going to need some – the Braves are going to need some starting pitching innings because their bullpen is already strapped, and they don't have Tyler Matzik, the guy who was a hero for them last year. He's having Tommy John surgery. So they got to get some length from their starting pitching. And it, yeah, and it's funny to hear somebody like you say there needs to be innings from starting pitchers. Well, in the postseason, we talk about it all the time. Oh, uh, now you want them. During the regular season, you don't care. Now you want them. Now you need them. I don't care when guy goes five innings and he strikes out ten guys. You're all happy for your fantasy team because you got all those fantasy points for those strikeouts. Ah, but now you need the innings when it matters. And that is what Steve Sparks talked about on this program and he was fabulous, saying, why does he like the postseason? Because now people aren't playing for their stats. Now they're playing to win. Look how many times the Philadelphia Phillies have laid down a bunt. How many home runs do the Phillies have? I don't think they hit one yesterday, did they? How many home runs? They played three postseason games. They're a team built on home runs. The only guy I remember hitting a home run was Bryce Harper. They've got one. They've got more bunts 
than home runs. They have two, they had two sack bunts yesterday, right? The two sack hits and an outstanding defensive play from Nick Castellanos, which still blows my mind that he made a diving catch. But, you know, they needed it most for him, and he delivered. But, yeah, they're, they've been sacrificing. They, they look good right now. I'm surprised with the way Philadelphia's been playing. Why? Uh, because you don't think of them as a defensive small ball team. That's a, that's that's my that's my whole thing about the summer ball. They're like a bunch of guys at summer ball league team that you played on. That was great. Bunch of guys came together at first. You're playing. You don't care. You're just trying to play in summer ball. But when it kind of comes together and you start playing in the playoffs, I mean, look how much they love their coach. He's a manager. I get it. But I'm talking like summer ball. They love their coach. They're coming together. They're not like a perfect puzzle, but they're they're playing great baseball. They are tough to beat. They've got like this cool, we all love playing with each other, and we're just going to go out and we're going to ball. And look what they did. They went into St. Louis, and everything was about pool holes and Wainwright and Molina and all that. Beat them. Now they go in game one. The Braves, Braves could be the best team. They won the World Series last year. They overtook the Met. Beat them. There's something about a team that they may not be perfect, but they've got a lot of confidence. And they've got a ton of belief. Tyler Kepner is going to join us here. Yeah, I just reached out to the uh, publicist to ask him, like, you know, tell him that we haven't got him yet. He's supposed to join us via video, so I'll wait another minute or two. If not, I mean, I have his phone number to back up to call him, but he's supposed to join us via video, so I'm waiting to see what they say. But another thing on the Phillies? The grandest, the grandest stage in history of the World Series. Another thing on the Phillies, too, their bullpen was the worst coming into the postseason amongst ERA. And I mean, they had to get a lot of innings out of their guys yesterday. What did that matter? Well, I, what does I'm, it matter? I'm just saying they, they actually weren't that bad yesterday. But it, none, none of that matters. That's like all we talked about, all these stats that we get every single day. What does it matter? Now it's just about winning a game today. And. You're, everybody's going to look, everybody in our business is going to look, oh, the Philly. I'm telling you, the Phillies remind me of that summer, summer ball league team. If you ever played on one with a bunch of players that just come together and all of a sudden, man, you just think you can't be beat. Are you going to be shocked if Philly moves on to L.A.? And what, what will be, mark it down. By the way, team that wins game one of the best of five wins 71% of the time. You want to play your percentages? 71% of the time, game one winner wins the series. And almost keep your notes in front of you. The exact same thing. If Philly moves on, the exact same thing that was said about Philly going into Atlanta will be the exact same things they say about the Dodgers. They'll say the exact same thing. Dodgers are a complete team. Dodgers are this. Braves are that. There is something about the mental side of, of, of sports, these human beings, they believe. And as long as they believe, it doesn't matter. They believe that they're going to go out there and they're going to beat the Braves. They think they're going to – you put anybody in front of them, they, they've got that kind of confidence, and that kind of fighter is a really, really tough fighter to beat. They really are. And they've been playing playoff baseball for a long time. Do we have Tyler? Yeah, he's here. Let me add him. Hey, Tyler, how are you? Congratulations on the book. Thank you very much. 
We just saw you the other day on MLB Network. You look good, and uh, how? And I know you just did. You release it yesterday or today? Yeah, yesterday, right, right here. Got it right here. I yep. cannot <laughs> wait. I mean, just how much fun is it going through and looking at not only all the great players, all the great teams, but then just truly how everything's changed about the World Series. Right. I mean, you know, you, I I relate to my own experience. The first game I went to was actually an afternoon game. Imagine that, a day game in the World Series. Uh, yeah, we don't have them. It's <laughs> a little earlier on the West Coast, so you might not feel it as much as we do back yeah. east. Man, those are some late nights now. Uh, but it didn't always used to be that way. Um, in fact, until 71, they were all in the day. So long after they got lights, it was still an afternoon event that was – um, you know, it, the biggest thing in, in the American sports uh, landscape. It was really, um, it was really, that was it. And, you know, for a lot of the kids that I work with now, it's, you know, obviously in periods of time in life, things change. And I, I try to tell them back in the day, you know, horse racing, boxing, boxing and baseball yeah. were the biggest sports in the United States of America and college football and Notre Dame and Army were the NFL was looked down upon. Pro football, mm-hmm. you know, top people went on to be business. They didn't go in and play professional football. So I'm sure you found some interesting stuff going back from the bygone eras to where we see throughout the years. Right, right. And and fortunately, there was just enough people um, still around from the old days to to talk with. I mean, I talked with Carl Erskine, who who pitched for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, in the 40s and 50s and talking about what the World Series was like and how everybody wore their, you know, their suits and the, the women would wear their fineries and the, and the you know, the, the uh, fur coats and everything. And it was just like, it was the place to be, the place to get, to get dressed up and, 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 and go, um, you know, take the afternoon off, uh, you know, and, and, and have a good time. I mean, I, you know, and even, it, you know, the World Series is really dominated by New York teams from the, I think from 47 to, 57 that all the games except four were, were in New York. And, and, uh, and so it was a very much a New York thing in that, in that era. It wasn't so good for the rest of the country, but uh, in New York, it was, uh, you know, the three teams dominated. So you could hear it all throughout the city, every bar you go into, it was a, must've been quite a time. Yeah. My grandfather played in the 48 world series. My grandfather was Bob Elliott, the MVP. Yeah. He hit two home runs. Yeah. Yeah. He had two home runs against Bob Feller in that world series. And my grandmother always talked about how everybody dressed up everybody. This was like an elegant event compared to what we see now where it's about selling merchandise and everybody's in jerseys and you're buying the world series hat. Yeah. It's like, it's like a completely different world. Right. That's so funny. Yeah. Bob Elliott. Wow. So, so it's funny. Cause I was talking with, he must've been at the time, the last surviving player from that 48 world series was Eddie Robinson, who, who died at age a hundred recently. Um, he played for, for Cleveland. And when I talked to him, I happened to be at a hotel in Boston across the Charles river from, uh, Nickerson Field at BU, which was Braves Field. So I was yeah. talking to, I was talking to Eddie Robinson, who played in that '48 World Series, while looking at the site of the old series. It was one of those, you know, mind blowing sort of things. Um, but yeah, first World Series for for Satchel Paige, that one, the last one, the Cleveland one. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. Wow, I, that's awesome. Well, I know we only have you so much, so much time. I know you got to do a lot of different stations. No, that's fine. Uh, but but what what when you're trying to tell. A's fans, baseball fans, 
this is why you should get this book. What's the one thing that you truly loved and you want to tell people about why they need this book, which, by the way, would also make a good holiday gift? Yeah, so, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, for A's fans, there's a lot in there. I mean, it, it depends on how big on A's history you are, but it goes, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there about Connie Mack and, and, and those guys back in the day. Um, you know, being from Philly, it's still weird to me to, that uh, the Philadelphia A's still have more championships than any Philadelphia sports team ever. And they left in the fifties, they got five with Connie Mack and yeah. uh, the Eagles only have four. So um, no, but there's a lot of stuff, there's stuff about the, uh, the A's in the seventies. And I talked to Reggie Jackson for the book. I talked to Raleigh fingers is in there quite a bit. Um, Dennis Eckersley, uh, Sandy Alderson, Walt Weiss. I mean, you know, there's a lot of the more recent guys because um, the A's, I mean, it's been a while, obviously, but the A's have a, a, a big imprint in, in World Series history when you talk about those distinct eras of the, uh, you know, the, the, the two big Connie Mack eras and then um, the 70s dynasty and then the 90s uh, AL dynasty with the 89 champs. So um, a lot of fun stuff in there about the A's and really just a lot of stories that you might not have, have known, you know, like, you know, Gibson hit a big home run, but, you know, I guess A's fans probably remember that. Dennis Eckersley walked Mike Davis to, to set it up. But, you know, I talked to Mike Davis about that, talked to Eckersley. Um, so, you know, try to get um, at some of the moments behind the moments as well. Um, so it's, uh, you know, hopefully people enjoy it. Dave Stewart's in there talking about how to handle World Series pressure. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, a lot of A's history there. It'd be, be great if they could uh, figure out a way to, to get back there, but that's a whole other story. Uh, I see Charlie O, the mule behind you right there. So you, you, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you got the swinging A's behind yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, right Charlie, o, Charlie O was, was, I mean, a fascinating character who was in the section about building a World Series team and how he was as crazy as he was, how he really dominated those early drafts and the period right before the draft came in to get the guts of that, um, that 70s dynasty. So it's uh, got to give him some credit too. Well, and, and that's where you try and tell people why, oh, you know, we're so fascinating with all the championships. And as you mentioned, you look at that run really from 71 through 75, which had 72, 73, 74. This is an insurance guy who's doing all of this from Chicago, Chicago. from a rotary phone. He's building World Series teams. Right. If you try right. to tell kids, they don't even know what a rotary phone is. He doesn't have a GM. He doesn't have a front office. He's winning World Series from Chicago in Oakland. Right. With MC Hammer uh, as his clubhouse spy, uh, Stanley Burrell, you know, the kid, he, the, the, the Oakland A's fan who he, uh, he took a shine to. So, yeah, no. And, and it was a team of, of uh, you know, guys who, uh, you know, put their differences aside on the field and they, they got a little rowdy off it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he. Yeah, Eddie Robinson, we mentioned him. He he was uh, he worked for Finley in, in Kansas City to help and put together some of those teams. But when you really, I mean, you look at those teams, um, being able to develop uh, Vita Blue and Catfish Hunter and, you know, Reggie Jackson and Campanaris and, and to be able to trade Rick Monday for John Matlack, or not John Matlack, um, uh, Ken Holtzman, you know, they, they Raleigh Fingers, they developed. So just such a great um pipeline that they had there after the athletics in Kansas city had just given the Yankees, whoever they wanted. Um, it was really a concerted effort there for the A's to develop their own and keep them and have them all rise together. And sadly, you know, it's kind of the history of the A's really from the Connie Mack days to, to the early dynasty to more recent times, the A's will develop players, bring them up, but they, 
you know, have such a hard time keeping them. It's kind of been the story, sadly, of that whole franchise, which is why it'd be so great for them to to get a home and be able to build something really lasting. But, uh, you know, their history is, is, is I don't say it's unmatched, but it's up there as one of the most interesting histories of any team. On your way out, who makes the history this year and why? I feel like I'd, I'd love to give you some uh, crazy uh, matchup, but I think that would do a disservice to just how good the, the Dodgers and the Ast- Astros have been. Um, I mean, if the Astros didn't turn into believers yesterday um, with, with the, the walk-off by Alvarez, um, it's going to be hard to convince you. I mean, it would be a rematch of that 17 World Series, um, so you'd have to – people would bring up the science dealing again and all that. Um, but that was a really great World Series, if you remember, the seven-gamer. Um, and those are sort of the two power teams of this era, L.A. and Houston, and they both have one championship. So, I don't know. It kind of be neat to sort of crown the the, uh, the the best team of the era, you know. So, I'll, I'll go Dodgers and, and Dodgers-Houston, uh, and uh, I'll say the Dodgers push through. Well, I can't wait to read the book. You know, once the season ends – Let's do this again. We can do a little more long form. And I, I you know, for, yeah, as you said, you, you can't talk about postseason history without talking about the A's. I think this Absolutely. is a kind of book that would be great uh, come holiday times as a gift. So uh, appreciate your time. We know you got to go. No, that's uh, good. Cool. Luck yeah. Glad to be good here. Good luck with the book. And then let's do this later on. And hopefully we'll see you at the winter meetings down in San Diego. Absolutely. You got my info anytime you want. Just reach out. Good stuff. Take care. Good luck. All right. Thanks a lot. All righty. Tyler Kepner, uh, I can't wait to read it. World Series history is fascinating. I mean, really, any of the, you know, I've been telling you, I just, I just finished Last Dance. And to listen to David Stern talk about the NBA, where they were before Michael Jordan, where they were before Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, you know, to where they were in. 40 countries to 70 countries to 200 something countries to watch these sports, to, to look how many different languages the world series, the super bowl, the NBA finals are broadcast in how American sports are now global. The merchandise is global. The coverage is global. You know, we get people who grew up A's fans who reach out to us Hey, I, you know, I mean, we got Lucas and I can't remember the other guy's name who are potentially watching right now down in Australia. We've got A's fans in Australia because of Hideki Matsui and Brad Pitt. We've got fans in Japan. We've got fans. I worked for the Raiders. They're they're fans everywhere. We're, we're over in London and it was the UK Raider nation. And I was talking to these people who watched every interview that I did with John Gruden on Raiders.com. Sports is now a global deal. And to watch how what the World Series was back then to where it is today, but the greatness of it, I can't. We got to get a copy of that. That might be some good holiday reading, especially you can't you can't talk about the history of the World Series in the postseason without bringing up the A's. You can't tell the history of Major League Baseball without the athletics organization. You can with a lot of other teams. You cannot talk about them. But you could not do that without the A's. So I'm uh, really looking forward to his book. And I'd like to kind of like have him research that World Series that my grandfather did play in, where my grandfather raked against the Cleveland Indians back then in 1948 after my grandfather won the MVP in 47. Anytime I hear that and you hear Bob Feller, it 
just talk about any of the games from back in, I don't want to say yesteryear, but yesteryear. Oh, yesteryear, yeah. yeah. Uh, I Everybody's love- dead. It, yeah. Everybody, I mean, everybody, I mean, you start thinking about, you know, the, how do we, how do we, te- how do we keep the memories alive as you tell the stories? It, it's, it'd be the same thing. Like when you and I talk about the uh, hall of fame, like we talk about the hall of fame so much and we look at the history, same thing with the world series. How many hall of, I mean, obviously how many hall of famers played in it and how many guys were unlikely world series heroes. And we've seen that all the time. I mean, Randy Rosarena was a guy no one thought was going to be a World Series, a guy that ran through the the postseason. And, and he, this time of the year for baseball is the best. Like I, the postseason baseball is is on match. I love the Stanley Cup playoffs too because there's always there's always a team that goes on a run or a goalie that gets hot in baseball. It's if you have a starting pitcher that's good like the Giants have with Madison Bumgarner or a hitter that's hot like Randy Rosarena, he can carry your team to the World Series. Now the Rays didn't win, but they got to the World Series. So. I'm excited to see who it who it is this year. Um, I don't know if we really had a guy yet that's been setting the world on fire in the postseason, but I'm sure we'll get someone as a playoff uh, advance into the uh, CS in the World Series. Yeah, they're there, and and that's and that's the beauty of sport is in, in a game where so many different people play. It's not the NBA. We're in the end. It's everybody get out of the way. Michael Jordan has the ball, right? End of the game, Steph Curry or Clay Thompson's taking the shot. You don't know who it's going to be. You really don't. You don't know who's going to be the star. And World Series MVPs come in a lot of different sizes. No one ever would have thought, I got David Eckstein to be a World Series MVP. You just don't know. And unfortunately... And it might be a good time to bring that up. You know, you have no idea who's going to pitch in these games. That's why that whole, oh, momentum is tomorrow's starter. Says who? How, how, how can you honestly say that now when this is not somebody's going out there and they're going to throw eight, nine innings and dominate and win the game? Could somebody do that? Of course they could. Will they be allowed to do it? And the answer is no. And the greatest example is you have to realize Cody and I text a lot with each other. It's throughout the entire day. And that's why, like, I can text something to Cody and I want to look it back up. I literally got to go, like, way back up because there's been so many texts. You started texting me all these different numbers about Dodger pitchers, and they kept like going. That everybody had like different answers to the act. Have have we have we figured out? We have the official total of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh, by the way, can you have them send us some of these books? By the way, yeah, uh, they said they were going to. So I'll I'll text with the publisher. Um, they told him thanks, and I told Tyler thanks too. Um, I'll text him and ask if we get a copy. Yeah, of the we want to have. Yeah, yeah. Keep him in the keep him in the old loop. Yeah. So last night we heard Adam Amin, friend of the program, well, mention. Well, I want to. I want to. I would just want to give the fans this. The Dodgers, if you just look at their playoff dominance, it's pretty incredible. 
So this thing started in 2004. So they won the West in 2004. They were a wild card in 2006. Then they won the West in 2008, 2009. Then they won it in 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22. And then last year were the wild card in 21. And what? Oh, yeah, this is 22. So think about that. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Wild card in 21 and win it again now in 22. They are on a historic Braves-like dynasty run. I mean, this is what dynasty, you know, the Yankees, we, we forget, we've kind of forgotten them. Cody has a dynasty, but the, the Yankees have been to the playoffs 24 out of 28 years. That's pretty good. It's incredible. And you throw the World Series titles in there. I know they haven't won since 09. Whatever. They've been to the playoffs 28, 24 out of 28. Braves won their division 14 straight years. This is when your division, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine out of 10 years they've won the division. I mean, come on. Yeah. And the one year was the year the Giants won, had to win 107 games uh, when the Dodgers won 106, and that was last year. You mentioned the run that started the no four through now. They've had five managers since then. Jim Tracy, Grady Little, Joe Torrey, Don Mattingly, and now Dave Roberts. Roberts has been there since twenty sixteen. So they've done they've gone through this run with sixteen or with five different managers where the Yankees have done it with Joe Torrey, Joe Girardi, and Aaron Boone. And the Braves did it the whole time with Bobby Cox and now it's Brian and, and now it's Brian Snitker's the manager in Atlanta. So the continuity when you have the the manager in place, it helps, but the Dodgers show that it's about player development and drafting well and finding the right free agents, and that's what they've done since 2004. But recently, over the last seven years, the guys they brought in, no one thought Chris Taylor was going to be any good. He was a Mariners cast-off that no one expected to do much. And Wow, you know, shots fired. Well, I mean, did you know who Evan Phillips was before he came on the scene this year? Or Alex- I've tracked him since his days in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, Alex Vessia, the lefty, the pitch to Cal State East Bay. Yeah, Cal Last State East night, Bay. Yeah, I, I tracked him ever since he he was um I think I watched him in junior high. Uh well he went to he he I, is I gotta get my bobbleheads back up here. He is from San Diego, Vessia is so but he pitched at Cal State East Bay, which is interesting in itself. Uh, do you want the stat, the official stat on the Dave Roberts and the pitchers and all that, or should we save it? Yes, okay. I want the – or should we break? All right, coming up next, you sent me how many versions of this last night? Let's see, Verducci had one, Adam Amin had one, and then I got the real number from from the, the most trusted source in the business. So Dave Roberts now has officially managed 78. Is that correct? correct. 78 postseason games. That is correct. He's like, I think he's 45 and um, I, I'd have to look, go back and look at his record. I think he's 45 and something. So the great thing here is I don't know the total answer and I don't have an opinion yet on whether this is right or wrong, good or bad, evil versus good i don't know we're all gonna do this you know what we're all gonna do this together we're gonna get what cody's talking about 
We're going to get the official numbers, and then we're all going to side together. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is this good for baseball, or is this flat-out evil? You'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Humanity has accomplished a whole lot so far. We created penicillin, the automobile, and the Internet, not to mention drones, duct tape, and the hot dog. It's all thanks to the power of human connections. And Ring Central's here to make that even easier, more seamlessly and securely, on a platform built to grow your business. Say hello to a whole new way to say hello. Visit ringcentral.com and say hello to possibilities. Ring Central. Message, video, phone, together. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty. We got about a half hour left. When, 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 when do we got? It's time. By the way, I let me just stop that. I was about to do a really, really poor impression of Vin Scully. I don't do a Vince Scully. It's time for Dodger baseball. It's terrible. What time is Dodger baseball tonight against the Padres? Uh, that game starts at 5.37 our time. Braves. Do I even need to watch this game? Uh, well, dot, real quick. Braves, Phillies starting at 4.30 our time. That's confirmed. Then an hour later. Oh, yeah. it's starting at seven thirty their time. That's yeah. not bad. Well, um, yesterday the so break be a three hour game. It'll be over uh, close to eleven o'clock their time. Well, you got a lot of faith in Zach Wheeler and uh, and uh, who's and Kyle Wright, the only twenty game winner this year, go, each going deep into the game. The Braves uh, radio. Yeah, analyst- right. I think it's going to be an over three. Oh, at least said under three. Hours. Sorry. No, uh, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, it'll this be over. Going- it's seven thirty their time start. This thing's not in until. The- God, who knows when? The the I was listening to Braves radio a little bit yesterday when I was on a walk, and I forget who I don't know who was doing the analyst with Jim Simpson, um, on the Braves radio network. But he was he was an analyst. I think he did some TV stuff. But he said how the Major League Baseball sticks it to the Braves all the time by putting us in a bad, you know, time slot, and how they're never in prime time. What? Well, because they were playing yesterday at ten or one oh seven p.m. in Atlanta. Oh, uh, A's White Sox is on the phone. <laughs> yeah. How, yeah, what what, 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 we were playing at what nine a.m. Yeah, or ten a.m. When not, were we playing those games? Yeah, nine a.m. But yeah, so four thirty for that game, five thirty-seven, uh, Dodgers Padres first pitch at Dodger Stadium. You Darvish versus Clayton Kershaw, who got upended last night by Justin Verlander for most career strikeouts in the postseason. Kershaw, Kershaw, Kershaw will take the lead back tonight, most likely. You know, that, that kind of reminds me of the days of Manny Ramirez has the most RBIs in postseason. Who cares? They played way more games. It doesn't matter. Yeah, just like how Jose Altuve has the second most home runs in postseason history. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, he's better than Mickey Mantle. Stop it. He played more I mean, postseason games. I, and it's great that we've played way more postseason games. I'm happy about it. You know, I'm with my hat. So. Um, but I, I, Verlander's got the most strikeouts. Who cares? It's a, they play, they play more rounds, more games. I, I know that the TV's got to try and sell it. I get it, but I can't sit here and be like all thrilled that these guys are setting records, records. Like, come on. I guess the only records that matter now are, are really world series records. Because that that's the only time you can really be apples to apples. Oh yeah, uh, we'll see if there's any records that can. Because be back in the day, guys didn't play in the NL. There wasn't the league championship series. Yeah, no, uh, there wasn't no. What wait. we're throwing on now? We're throwing on which we are both advocates for. We both want more playoffs. But if you're going to keep adding playoffs, you know, keeping the postseason records, if we're going to look up someday. And just say, oh, these are the records. You're going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You've got far lesser players holding these records than the guys that used to hold them that were some of the all-time greats. Wait, you're telling me Mickey Mantle and uh, Ted Williams didn't play in a, a wild card playing game back in the back in their day? I mean, look look at the World Series Hank Aaron had against the Yankees in, I'm going to say it's 57, 58, oh, so I think something 50- like that. I think 1957 was the Dodgers, but let me look. Hank Aaron had this monster postseason uh, to lead to lead them past the uh, lead them past the uh, lead them lead them past the uh, Yankees. He was my had a monster postseason. Yeah, 1958. 1958. What was it? What would he do? Uh, 1958 in seven games, he hit 333 with, well, he didn't hit a home run, but he was still pretty good. What was his OPS? Uh, 827. And what was his RBIs? He only had two. That's it? Yeah. The best player that year for them, RBI wise, was Wes Covington, who had four, but he hit two, uh, but he hit 269 that year, or that World Series, as the, the Yankees, well, the Yankees won that World Series four games to three. What was the World Series? How many World Series did Aaron play in? Uh, what am I thinking? And I, I was going to say well, it could have been that one. Let me see how many World Series he played in. I, I don't know that. I know a lot of Hank Aaron stuff, but I don't know how many he won the. Okay, so it was nineteen fifty-seven. Let me double check that then. I thought that Aha! was fifty-six. One of the years was the Brooklyn Dodgers, and Jackie Robinson won. Uh. And yeah, mm-hmm. in 19, 1957, he hit three ninety three, three home runs, seven RBI, and seven games against the Yankees as the Milwaukee Braves on the World Series, four games to three. Look at you! You you just went and discredited me right out of the <laughs> gate. The audience goes, Townsend doesn't know what he's talking about. Fact check him. You're like you're like MSNBC. Fact check him. CNN. And then what do you do? You fact check me, and I'm right. Fifty seven. Hank Aaron was a monster against the Yankees. Yeah, it, you can it, apologize now. I apologize. And fifty six was the Yankees over the Brooklyn Dodgers. I knew it was somewhere in there, but uh, so let's give out the stat. We teased it. Let's get to it. In seventy eight career postseason games for Dave Roberts, he's allowed a starting pitcher to go a hundred pitches or more. 11 times in those 78 games. So just over 10%. Yeah. Can you can you guess any of the guys that have done it? 
I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you can get a couple. Well, Kershaw, that's not going to be hard. Kershaw did it three times. Granky. Granky, no. No? No, Granky. Oh, was that was that too early for Dave Roberts? Or that would have been like Robert. the what year was he there? That would have been like towards the beginning, or it might have been before he was there. Walker Bueller. Bueller five times. All right, so I got Kershaw Bueller. How many more are there? That, that's eight times. So there's three guys. It's one. There's three more guys, and it was one each that have gone over a hundred pitches or more. Yeah, he was with the Do- uh, Greg was with the Dodgers thirteen through fifteen. So Dave Roberts would have been there the year after. I'm going to throw one out here that I don't think anyone would guess. I'm going to go with the great Rich Hill. Incorrect. No. Yeah. Um, there are two lefties on the list, though. Urias. He's one. So what am I? So I got three of them. Uh, yes. You just need two more. How, how many more do I have left? You need one more lefty and another righty. One guy was a hired gun. David Cohn. <laughs> um, oh, uh, uh, Scherzer. Scherzer. So now I need a lefty. Yep. Give you a clue. He doesn't, he doesn't play in this country anymore. That doesn't do anything for me. The answer would be uh, Ryu with the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, now oh, Ryu did it gosh, for Dave Roberts. So eleven times, right. eleven times out of seventy-eight career postseason games for Dave Roberts, he's let a starter go a hundred pitches or more. I was texting back and forth with our good friend Sarah Langs last night at like would have been like midnight, no, twelve thirty for her in the morning. But she was texting back. Um, she also told me she wants to come on. So Sarah's coming on our show on Monday. So we'll have Sarah on to talk about well everything. But yeah, eleven times that Dave Roberts let a pitcher go hundred or more pitches in the postseason because we saw Julio Arias last night. Uh, so it's basically my it's fourteen percent of the time. Fourteen percent of the time, a starter for Dave Roberts will go a hundred pitches. Uh, yes, and it, it's, essentially, you're relying on your bullpen a lot. And he they came up big last a night. Lot. They came up big last night with Phillips and Vessia and Gratterall and uh, Chris Martin closed the game out for them. Because remember, Kimbrel's not on the postseason roster. We could see Julio Arias close out a game at some point for them, for all we know, because that's what he he does. But I mean, he had, there's a stat on him too. He's like the youngest pitcher to get to eight career postseason wins before turning 27 years old, which is incredible for what he's been able to do. But he has some wins there as a reliever. But yeah, Dave Roberts not letting guys go deep. We'll see tonight with Kershaw if he goes deep in the game or not. Because him versus you, Darvish, the Dodger, also former hired gun of the Dodgers, you, Darvish. Well, Clayton Kershaw, in his career, in his last, or I should say, dating back to the 2017 NLDS, Clayton Kershaw, 7-2, and two, with a 2.67 ERA in his last 12 season postseason starts at Chavez Ravine. So Kershaw has been good. Oh, by the way, since returning from the month-long stay on the IL due to back pain, Kershaw went 5-0 and with a 1.54 ERA in his final seven starts. Are you going to tell me why I need to watch this game again? Wait, Darvish has been pretty good. 
it doesn't matter who's in the Padre uniforms. It 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 doesn't <laughs> matter, as your guy used to say, the Rock. Do, do we need to? Pl- I have it. Do we need to play the David Ortiz audio from last night on the Fox oh post game show? <laughs> seriously, if this is what you want to hear after games, first of all. You've got the most unlikable guy on television and Alex Rodriguez. Does anybody like Alex Rodriguez? Probably not. Um, God bless Frank Thomas. He says nothing. I mean, it's just basically, hey, big hurt Hall of Famer, and he's big and he's in his suit. I, I don't know what he gives you. And then you get this stuff from Big Poppy, which is just like, I mean, literally – the intelligence of this post-game show on Fox is unbelievable. Take it. Let it go. The reality is that when you're playing against your daddy, you need to try to do something. <laughs> you have you to try to do something me. different, Kevin. You can just keep continue having the same approach. You don't know what you're going to do. You need to try something different. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I totally agree with Frank and <laughs> so You have to do something different because, first of all, you're playing against one of the best offensively teams in the whole baseball. And you are 5 and 15 against this guy. You got to try something different. Did your daddy, which is the whole takeoff of Pedro Martinez yeah. calling the Yankees his daddy, and then the whole Pedro Martinez segment, who's your daddy thing on T, was it TBS or TNT? Yeah. TBS. Like, and they're just all laughing at it like it's so funny. It's so funny. Who's your daddy? He's my daddy. It's just, it's ignorant it's just so bad it's so bad uh, i forgot i had this we can play you really find that compelling television uh, no i told you last night i don't watch the fox post game show it, it literally is i mean like they've now find out, found x players who say stuff that's entertaining and fun and good pat mcafee now for god's <laughs> sakes is on game day on espn yeah, he's great. Also, the SmackDown the for WWE. Brothers. The Manning brothers, right? They're doing Monday Night Football. You just talk about Dennis Eckersley. I mean, hell, the stuff that 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 Brody and I have done with Stu on NBC Sports. Like, you listen to Dave Stewart talk. You, it's fascinating. Like, there's people you could put on that say something that you're like, wow. I mean, they find all these. They have a, a Chisholm going right now as a current player uh, on MLB Network. How do you see the green suit he was rolling in? That's yeah, it. yeah. But he, like, he's interesting. Like, there's people out there that are in our sport that talk and say something and are are, are good at it. These three guys, I just, I mean, I understand the name power. Uh, I I understand a Rod. Big poppy, big hurt. I get the name power, but what is said and done on that show is just like, blah. And that was their big funny. Oh, he, uh, your daddy. I'm like what? What? Really? This is what? This is what you got? Uh, this is what with all the money Fox has, and as good as Fox is doing football, Fox is really good at football. This is what you produce for baseball. Terrible. Uh, another guy that's a good former player that you know we know about. He did some games for us this year. Jerry Blevins says something interesting. So there's there's give me somebody guy. says something interesting. Just so oh. you put the name up there. I mean, I, I I don't know how many people. You know, I guess A Rod became interesting when he was engaged to Jennifer Lopez, but I, I don't find anything. I don't ever find it. 
I don't find him interesting at all. I don't find him interesting. Uh, do you know who's doing – apparently, I, I think it starts tonight. Do you know who's doing uh, studio work for – I think it's for Fox. That'd be the great Carlos Correa is going to be in there. And he's going to be watching the AL. So, okay, I want to see what Correa has to say about the Astros. I'll listen to Carlos. Carlos Correa, he's got an edge. Yeah. I, he's I, not going to sit there and just go, oh, they call, call him your daddy. Like, what? Carlos Correa, sharp. I'll, I'll listen to Carlos Correa. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be. Uh, that'll be tomorrow. I think. I think he's doing the AL for the AL. Yeah, games. what a great because you know he's a guy that's been in the heat of it. He's been embattled. I mean the the controversy, the things that he said against the guy. I mean, I I that's a that's a very good move. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm and gonna, I remember gonna, Big Pop. Do you remember Big Poppy running around at the All Star game going to the dugout? It was like this is useless. This is useless. I don't find Big Poppy. I, I and this is, I'm looking purely as an entertainment, but somehow Big Poppy has gotten like the ultimate pass. It's unbelievable. Oh, for sure. And you know the we, ultimate pass. I mean, the whole thing about steroids, Hall of Fame, how he got shot, why he got shot down in the Dominican. I mean, this whole thing is. How this guy has gotten a pass is unreal. I completely forgot about the Dominican thing. Uh, this is the official tweet from Mark Berman of Fox 26 in Houston. Carlos Correa will be in studio for TBS's coverage of Game 2 of the ALDS between the Astros and Mariners and Yankees Guardians. Perfect. I got to play for the Astros. I played against the Mariners all those years. And then a guy that played in the division against the Guardians. Oh, and it's the Yankees. I want to hear what Carlos Correa has to say. Oh, yeah. You know it will be good someday when he's done is Verlander. Yeah, another one too. Uh, Adam Amin and AJ Przinsky, uh We're talking AJ about AJ Przinsky's terrible. Uh, they Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright's very good on the broadcast when he did games. Yes, with them. I like Wainwright too. Um, Przinsky, like they thought he'd be this personality guy. And trust me, we did that at Camby when I was at Camby our years ago. We got a AJ Przinsky got to the Giants. So, oh, this guy's gonna. He's terrible. AJ Przinsky's. It's like. He got known as this personality guy, and he's not that guy. He's not. He's terrible. Yeah, I've never been a big fan. I think he's a broadcaster. Like with Sarah last night, as you mentioned, get better. Like, he's 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 not good. Yeah. Um, we like Adam Amin's good, a friend of the program. Yeah. He's also calling he's, yeah. al- he's also calling 49ers, um, 49ers Falcons this weekend with Mark Schlereth on Fox. So I guess someone's got to fill in for him if the series goes five games, right? Because yeah, tonight, yeah, it'll be five games. The game five would be Sunday, or no? Would it be no? It'll oh, be he'll be doing the NFL game. Oh no, it'll be Monday. Sorry, there's an off day. I forgot that it's two, he'll two, be one. Fi- you'll need somebody from baseball to fill in. Yeah, but I'm sure he'll. It's, he will be there for the yes the the NFL regular season <laughs> game will trump the baseball playoff game. The tie- sorry, but that's how it works. The tie a bow on the Dave Roberts, um, Julio Arias taking him out last night. I have audio from Dave Roberts on why he took him out last night. If you want to hear it, it's only about 40 seconds, but Roberts explains why he took uh, his starter out after only 79 pitches last night in game one. Julio was good. Um, I thought he he uh, he was good. Uh, that, that fifth inning, I just think that, you know, Myers hit a good breaking ball down below, uh, put a really good swing on it. Then um, – they just did a nice job building an inning right there. I thought during that inning, I don't recall how many pitches he threw. I just thought that uh, the breaking ball just started not to be as sharp. 
the life to the fastball, even the pro far, the last ball that he flew out just didn't have the life to it. Um, so I felt that, you know, he did his job for the night. But, you know, to give us five innings, three runs, got the win. Um, really nice job. So that was Dodgers manager Dave Roberts. Hawaii took Arias out, like I said, five innings, 79 pitches. A guy that led the National League in ERA during the regular season, a guy that won 20 games last year for you. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess um, I probably, if I was managing, I probably would have left him in another inning, but his bullpen came well, through. Phillips did struggle in that sixth inning. He had base runners on, but he got a great ending inning double play to end the inning, and he also struck at the batter before. So if you're able to get out of it with your bullpen intact with no runs, okay. But we'll see what they do tonight and how long Kershaw Here will goes. be your big question going into tonight. Dodgers bullpen combined to allow three hits, no runs, and four innings. Padres bullpen, five and a third hitless innings, retired 27 of their last 30 batters they faced without a hit allowed. All right, now let's see. You got through game one, going a ton of bullpen guys. Clevenger stinks. I mean, it just it is what it is. But here you go. You know, it's not, you, you know. You win game one, 71% of the time you win that five division, uh, that five game in the in the division series. So you win game one, 71% of the time you win the deal. So let's see what, how long Bob will stick with you, Darvish, 16 and eight with a 3.10 ERA on the season. And he'll make his first postseason start at Dodger Stadium since Game 7 of the 2017 World Series. Yeah, I was looking and at it. He was 2-2 two and two with a 6-1-4 ERA in the 2017 postseason with the Dodgers. That year he was there. So you're hoping he goes long to games because he, he has – What did you say he was? In the postseason with the Dodgers in 2017, he's I have he was 2-2 two and two with a 6-1-4 ERA. Yeah, he was one. He was one and two and four starts for for the Dodgers. Yeah, I think I think he might have pitched in relief with to get one of the wins. But, yeah. um, and I know this is mean anything, but if you want to look at their starts against the Dodgers this year, he's one and two with a two five two ERA and four starts. Then again, Verlander owned the Mariners, and we know how that turned out for him yesterday in Game One. And Kershaw. Here's the other thing to watch for since since you you, you declared him the next greatest player of all time. Uh Juan Soto, 0 for 3. Manny Machado, 1 for 4. Josh Bell, 0 for 2. That's a 1 for 9, 0 RBI. Those are your three, those are your three big guns, right? Yeah. And what? And, Even though Bell didn't start. Yeah. But. And Drury's, Drury's hitting cleanup yesterday, right? Was, if, was that correct? Either way. Their their lineup has been, Trent Grisham's been great. The bottom half of their lineup has been good. Grisham, you can't get him out apparently in the, in the playoffs. He might be Randy Rosarena this year, but the rest of their lineup is Jake Cronenworth got his first hit in the postseason this year last night. He didn't have a hit in the entire wild card series against the Mets, and this is a guy that had 88 runs driven in for the Padres during the regular season. A guy that is a good player for them. No, here we go. So you're telling me I should watch this game? I mean, it's postseason. Anything can happen. But I already know what's going to happen. I can tell you right now. I'm highlighting as we speak. Dodgers have won 15 of 20 against the Padres this year. 
They've scored 64 runs more. It's a run differential of 114 to 50. So that's a plus 64 run differential against the Padres. And the Dodgers have out-homered the Padres 32 to 13. Why, why waste my time? Shouldn't the Padres have to prove that I should watch it before I have to watch it? That's a good point. Hey, if they shouldn't they make, shouldn't they have to earn our right to put to? I mean, because I could just go, hey, I got all these notes right here. Look at all these notes. It says, oh, it's too white, huh? Yeah, it's okay. I got all these. I got all these notes that say Padres got no chance. But if they do win, they're gonna have their hosting their first playoff game since two thousand six on Friday. Since the Phil Nevin manager of the of the Angels, Ryan Klesko, Brian Giles guys. Uh, Bruce Bochy was the manager. Uh, wow, yeah, that, yeah, wow, that's how far back we're really going. That's how far you go back, Petco Park. Yeah, that's what's funny is everybody goes, you're from San Diego, you're a Padre fan. No, I haven't been a Padre fan in forever. Now, I could care less. Now I'm curious. I, I, I'm rooting for Bob Melvin. I am, but the, all my buddies I grew up with, they're like, oh, my God. Got him. Like I told you, they stink. It's just it's in the DNA. There's certain things that get into a organization's DNA, and they just don't win. They just don't. There's just the Dodgers are looking at. I'm telling you, the Dodgers, Padres look over at the Dodgers, and they're defeated. Now I feel the same thing about the Astros and the Mariners. I mean, the Mariners are looking over there. I mean, how many times, if you look at how many, if you look at the guys that are in the Astros uniforms, how many times have they even beat the Astros in the regular season in their careers? What was the number? 31 of 38 they've lost to them? 31 of 38 dating back to 2019. That's So basically the Astros kicked your ass in 20, 21, and now 22. I think they were 7-12 versus the Astros this year. I mean, seriously. Seven I mean, thirteen now. What are we talking about? I mean, are you worry. I mean, are you worried about the Mariners or the Padres moving on after what you've seen? Uh, Mariners, no. But I, uh, as you know, on our show Monday, I I went against you and Martin, and I picked the I picked Bob Melvin. I believe in Bob Melvin, and I picked the Padres to upset the yeah, Dodgers. Yeah, you, you, Bob Melvin, and you believe in Stephen Vogt. <laughs> Now it's the same thing about it's the same thing about my 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 guardians. Seems like I nobody mean, wants to give them a chance now, huh? It nobody. Like, no, no, no. Like my my petrol ten percent, ten percent. That's it. And they said he he thinks they have to win the World Series to change for teams to change how the uh, how team is built now. Have you changed at all since you've been doing the show with me? I mean, probably for sure. I I just can't pinpoint things that i've changed like those guys the the, the 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 analytics guys they're not changing that they, they're they, they view they essentially view baseball not as a sport they just view baseball as numbers and really and they all get into it based off fantasy that's how they get it that's how that's you know yeah <laughs> you know what fantasy is you're gonna love this you know what fantasy is it's the gateway drug it's a gateway drug. It leads you into the hardcore stuff and then changes your life forever. Mm-hmm. You you start you start smoking fantasy. Next thing you know, you're on 
You're on skid row with those sabermetric people. That's where you're at. That's the reality. And like if you if you've gone all in, like you you can't view the game any other way. Like you can't view the Phillies as having a chance. Like if you are all about just data, you can't give the Phillies or the Guardians a chance, right? Uh, no. You don't you don't believe in and the mental side of sports like there that, and that's, you know, I should have you read the book that I'm reading when I'm done. It's totally talking about the belief of, of, of how human beings and your computer, which is your brain, how it affects you and how you prepare, how you, how you train, how you get into the big moments, how you react. Guys like that don't believe in it at all. They don't, they don't view you as a human being. They view you as a data point. They view you as a number. What's well, his data? You know, Eno's going to come out at us with stuff plus. What's well, the stuff plus? I mean, they, they don't view guys as human beings and don't view the guests. So they don't give these teams that data is not as good as this other team's data a chance. I Now, the Padres and the Mariners, this isn't data. This is just, this is, this is more the mental thing. It's like, no matter what you say the data is, I mean, San Diego and Seattle could kill everybody else, but you look at their numbers against the Mariners and the Dodgers, and they just, they just, they, they wilt. They absolutely wilt. They, they need to, well, you, you would think, you thought that they were going to come through with yesterday's win, but, or winning yesterday's game, but Jordan Alvarez changed all of that. You're well, frozen. Oh, uh, that's on, that's, I think that's something with your computer because, all those things are none of that stuff's popping up on mine. But anyway, do you remember our conversation before the show? Yes, it's that's all internet based. With everything that's happened, in, with, with, with with everything that's happened in this show, will, will you be willing to retract some of the things? Um, no, because I bet you when I come back Friday, it'll be working just fine. Even though the iPad went. Battery's dead. That uh, we used the same thing on Monday, and it, it stayed at one hundred percent the whole time. I don't get the the variable that's not if there. I'm, if, I'm, if I'm going by analytics, I'm saying it's not perfect. Uh, well, no, nothing's perfect. Um, I'm data driven. I'm, I'm like I'm like Amazon. I my analog, my my <laughs> my my my, my uh, algorithm. I should say my analog. My algorithm. I'm looking at my algorithm. Uh, the the one thing that's missing out of this whole uh, whole equation, the one variable that's missing is, I, I'm not there. Take me away. I, I'm looking at you right here. You're right there with right. that horrible reflection over your left shoulder. Yeah, I know. Well, can't help it with the studio here, Jingle Town. And how, how do the A's offices look? It looks good. No one's in here right now. There was some happy hour that started at three, so it's like me and like three other people are still in here. Um. Oh, we never here. Get to it real quick. So, have we decided if this is bad or good? What Dave Roberts? Obviously, it's only it's produced one World Series. I will not be that guy. I think every World Series is big. I do think the world. I I think the challenges. I think it's very insensitive. Can I get sensitive? Should be sensitive. Uh, sure. I think it's very. I think it's very insensitive with everything that was going on in the world. Where you had how many people die of COVID? Seven million, yeah. over a million in this country. 
And when I hear people go, ah, the 2020 season doesn't matter. What? Like, 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 are you, are, how big of a jackass are you? These players had no idea what they were risking. We didn't know what they were risking. We still are still trying to find, we, 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 we've got, did you see that thing coming out of Europe? I saw it on Twitter where the Pfizer executive was saying, yeah, we, we didn't know that if you took the vaccine, it didn't mean you could still transmit the, the virus. But they're telling us we all had to get the vaccine so we wouldn't give it to other people. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns going still on. These players played through all that. I mean, let's not forget there was places in the Northeast where they didn't have places to stash bodies, so they were bringing in meat trucks to coolers to stash dead bodies. And these guys played through that. I mean, this was scary. We shut down the world. These guys played through that. Whether it was 60 games, 162 games, they played through that. They had to they had to wall themselves off from their friends and their family and from everybody and to play in these bubbles and play in front of em- no fans in empty stadiums. So to be like, ah, oh, that season didn't matter. I just I can't feel that. I think that's really really insensitive. And I do think it mattered. I do too. And I, I- and I think, and I think, like, like talking about the A's and the White Sox, when those guys are having to get there at six a.m. to test to prove that they don't have COVID, so they could play. Yeah, don't tell me that didn't matter, and don't tell me that wasn't tough. They went through testing protocol, and they went through things that no other baseball player, professional athlete, had ever been through before. And the same thing for the NBA guys, and same for everybody. They had to go through stuff no one has ever gone through before. So for us to look back and be so callous, and guys do it, I hear it all the time, be like, ah, 2020 didn't matter. That that didn't matter. My ass, that didn't matter. So that's the one Dave Roberts has won. The rest of the time, he hasn't won. So until he puts another one up on the board, this whole, I constantly pull my starters early, which, let's be honest, is this about Dave Roberts or is this about Andrew Friedman? Fair point. I mean, we say that about a lot of teams and their manager in front office. That's why I laugh. I, I laugh all. I, I laugh whenever I hear, you know, ah, you know, this manager did this. Oh, really? Why did he do it? Yeah, well, Tam- we, we talk about a Tampa all the time with Cashy and what happened in the 2020 World Series, and you know, with all these, we we have, no, but the two variables, those two guys have been there. 2016, they, were, they both were there, and they're still there now. Yeah. I mean, why Why are these things happening? Well, they're happening because they're told to do it. This is how these organizations want to be run, which is going to get me back to my last dance and baseball today. I got to hit that at some point. I think you're going to find it fascinating. I've been waiting. Let's Maybe, maybe we'll do it on Friday. Yeah. there, there, There is something from the last dance that Jordan documentary, which was fabulous. I know you all watched it during COVID. I just watched it, finished it last night. There's something about the last dance that equates to baseball now. Big time. Not little. I mean big time. And, you know, we could say Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts pulls the starters early, but Dave Roberts is being told to pull the starters. Dave Ro- These games are mapped out. Like our fans, like it's so funny how when the fans call the post game show and they, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe Bob Melvin and these guys. I don't know how much our games are, 
but you talk to people from other organizations, and I know that everything is scripted. For the Rays, for sure. And I learned that in 2018 or 19 when I was down there, that Kevin Cash is not really making any independent decisions. Like, you know what has to happen for Kevin Cash to go rogue? Is something dramatic has to happen. Like, your starter goes out and gets hurt. Right? Somebody goes out and gets hurt right out of the bat, and you got to start making changes. Now, now you got to make changes, right? Guy got hurt. You got to, hey, you in the bullpen, you got to come down pit. Like, that's when, okay, cash, what are you doing? But a lot of the pinch hits, because now that we have so many guys in the bullpen, you have very little pinch hitters on the bench, right? Yeah, correct. You only have so many guys as, as a manager. It's not hard for you to sit there and you need to be like, well, they've got how many guys over there that can pinch hit? And one of them's a backup catcher, and they always got to have a guy who can catch. So I kind of have an idea of who I'm going to have to match up towards the end of the game because uh, all their guys are down the bullpen. Now that we've we put so, – if you only had a few pitchers down in the bullpen and you had a bunch of guys on your bench who could pinch hit, the game would be much different. But now the whole thing about managing, it's very easy for front offices to know the scenarios of how many guys do you even have on the bench that could come in and pinch hit? Two? If you're not going to throw out the backup catcher, I mean, you're very limited in your options as a manager, so it makes it a lot easier because you have 8,000 relievers. It makes it it easier to control the game from a front office scripted standpoint. If this happens, do that. If that happens, do that. They can literally script it out for you. Once he gets to 70 pitches, he's out. But what if he's got a no-hitter? I don't care. He's out. Remember, he pulled pulled Ross Stripling with a no-hitter. What was that, 20? 16 or 17, Ross Stripling had a no-hitter, and he pulled him out because of his pitch count. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's real. It is real. No doubt. What do we got Wednesday? Friday. Friday. Today's uh, Wednesday. Yeah, we're going to have Bill Moriarty because he reached out to us. We're going to talk – we'll talk with Bill from Athletics Farm. We have Eno on Friday. What's going on in the Arizona Fall League? Ryan Cusick, five innings of one-run ball today for, for the A's, and Lawrence Butler hit a three-run homer. Uh, Eno will be with us, and then we have your hall, your Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame head coach Sam Peraro. So far, he's on. going in another hall. Now he's got This is the big one. Do you understand that? Well, yeah. When you when you said it was San Jose, I knew that was a big deal. Yeah, this isn't like you know. I mean, not not to say that going into the San Jose State Hall of Fame, but this is this is the San Jose Sports Hall of Fame. So you're in there with like gold medalist Christy Yamaguchi. You're in there with the big boys, Dave Rigetti. I mean, you're in like the greatest athletes. These are some of the greatest athletes from the Bay Area and Bay Area history are in the San Jose Sports Hall of Fame. That's going into the big one, my old head coach, Sam Perraro. So when we say the Hall of Famer is showing up, he just went into, he's in the San Jose State Hall of Fame. He's in the Mission College Hall of Fame. I mean, he's in like six Hall of Fames. But now this is the big one. If someone was born, you know, to be born and raised, in San Jose, or to be born and raised in anywhere. If you're born and raised in Oakland, San Francisco, wherever, Los Angeles, San Diego, where if you're born in a spot, grow up there, and then go into that city's sports hall of fame, that's a big deal. Uh, are you in the Pittsburgh Hall of Fame? Uh, I, I am not. No, neither am I. I'm not <laughs> in the Pittsburgh Hall of Fame. 
Are you in the San Diego Hall of Fame? I was in high school when I was all San Diego, but no, <laughs> I was never uh, inducted into. My grandfather was, or is, but no, I was never inducted into the San Diego Hall of Fame. Well, I'm no, looking sorry. Even though I've lived in San Jose a lot longer than I lived in San Diego. Well, I'm looking forward to that on Friday and with everyone yeah, else. We'll be good. A lot of baseball games to watch, too. All right. I'm at 4.30, right? Yeah. And this up at 4.30? Yeah. I'm going to watch. No, this is five. Dodgers Padres, 5.30. Yeah. 4.30, Phillies, Braves, Zach Wheeler versus Kyle Wright. Dodgers, Padres later. Buell- it, you know what? It's scary. It, it, you know what it Kershaw, is? It scares Dodgers. you. I think it scares you that I picked the Phillies a while ago as my National League team, and they're hot, and I think that scares you. Well, yeah. Well, the, the Brewers didn't make it, so, of course, I'm jaded. Your Brewers are out. My Philly, and now my Phillies take game one. 71% chance now to win this. They knock off the Braves. All of a sudden, it's going to be like, is this the team of destiny? <laughs> I mean, Did you see Bryce Harper walking in today? Uh, no, but I'm a, big, I'm a big Bryce Harper guy. Bryce Harper unzips the sweatsuit and has a medallion with the Phillies P, and he hits it, and it was spinning. Uh-huh. You don't think these guys are like a summer ball team? They're like the summer ball team where they've got beers and a cooler. They're just ready to rock and play and have a good time. That guy's a tough guy to beat, man, I'm telling you. Bryce Harper would be great as an analyst. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. He's a good talker. Trout, terrible. No personality. Though we know I think if, I think if Otani was good with English, she'd be good. He's got a good personality. Yeah, I do like for the things I've seen, he has a good personality for sure. Trout would be terrible. Tr- Trout, 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 Trout's milk toast. He's boring. I think Bryce Harper would be really good. We gotta start finding some guys. See, I think Carlos Correa is good. That's a good one. I can't wait for that. That's uh, tomorrow. We got to start finding some. We got to start finding because this big poppy A Rod thing stinks. It stinks. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know what the research says. I just know, like, whenever I, I can't watch it, if it, and it's FS1. The guy who does the play-by-play, forget that Kevin Kevin Burkhart. Burkhart. He's good. I just, I big poppy, big big hurt says nothing. He just like, come on, man, I have an opinion. Now, if you had like, this sounds like such an A's homer, but if you put like Eck and Stu up there, now nah, I mean that would be. I'm telling you right now, they would say something. Oh, I'm sure they'd say more than. I'm sure Eck would fill the time for both of them. Give me somebody who says something. I mean, make it interesting. Have some good takes. Be entertaining. I mean, I, I'm i looking forward to Carlos Correa. Give me Dan Plesak. I, I love <laughs> let me say that. You know what? Dan Plesak and Harold Reynolds are great together. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to be talking great with that. Harold Reynolds, but the problem is Harold Reynolds is not a Hall of Famer or not. Did he play in an All-Star game? Uh, I want to say, let me check. I mean, he was a Silver Slugger Award winner, I think. Well, he led the league in stolen bases one year. Uh, two-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glover. Harold Reynolds is really good broadcaster. Harold Reynolds is solid. I love Harold. And I love Plesak was one of the best closers of his time. But they're not, you know, they're not. Their generation is now a little older. And now they think that this A-Rod thing, and I, I don't get it. I, I'll, take, I'll take Harold Reynolds over A-Rod any day of the week. Uh, I don't disagree. 
Hey, folks, just because guys are great, Joe Montana and Bill Walsh were horrible. Bill Walsh was terrible broadcasting. He was terrible. And I got his bobblehead right here. I didn't even know Joe great Montana. The San Jose State Spartan Bill Walsh. He was terrible. Joe Montana broadcasting, terrible. I didn't even know he did terrible. broadcasting. Yeah, they, they tried him out, and they were terrible. It's just, it's you know, I mean, just because you're the greatest doesn't mean, I mean, we don't know. Tom Brady be any good? I don't know. Peyton Manning, fabulous. Drew Brees, Tom what, Brady? Drew Brees wasn't very good. You just don't know. All righty, we'll be back on Wednesday, I mean, Friday at 1 o'clock. Correct. We'll have a jam-packed show. Enjoy baseball coming your way. Good job, Cody. Just get that credit card ready for my steak dinner. Uh, it's ready. And I, you know, I'm, I've been losing weight. I need to, I need to get some protein in me. I'm ready to go. Nice fat bone-in ribeye. Well, you're the one. I said, Appetizers. You're the one that has cheerleading and all kinds of things going on. So you let me know. Do you, do you want me to go Wagyu beef? I don't, I don't know. That sounds pricey. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you on Friday at 1 o'clock. Enjoy these playoff games. We'll be breaking it all down right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.